0: From a world unknown, comes a nightmare unimagined. And can get into your mouth and you walk around while they need to be if you're dead. We have something on the monitor, Captain.
1: That's okay. Don't get up. The good news is your nays are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. Maybe we could drown it in A1 sauce. What is this? That's very
2: ugly. Exploding heads, creepy crawlies, we could have a little problem.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise and at the end of each episode along with our honorary sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on
3: Patreon. Hey, we're getting up at like seven in the morning for you guys. Now. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're working hard. So please do it. Thank you.
1: We decide <laughs> on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an honor shout out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we've been coming up on 2 years yeah. of bonus episodes, so <laughs> Well,
3: wow, that was weird to say or weird to hear. T-
1: yeah, it's, uh, we, we go, it's surreal now. we've been going surreal now. We're going at it for a while here, but so if you haven't made the jump yet, there are uh, 40 plus bonus episodes waiting for you over there. <laughs> Um, and speaking Crazy. of which, we do have, I think, five new people who signed up this week. And they are, I think, Edward, Colin Estes. I might have even thanked you two on last week's episode. Anyway, yeah. you get the double, double shout here. out. No complaints here. <laughs> uh, but then we also have David Ryman, Ross McWilliams, and Dustin Easman. Nice. Thanks, guys. So thanks so much for joining us and getting all those extra episodes. Uh, that's the one plug for the week. The other plug for the week, as always, is iTunes. If you guys have been digging the show, give us a good old rating and review over on iTunes. Helps Please us find do. new listeners, and we appreciate that as well. But now that that's out of the way, uh, hi, I'm the host. I'm one of the hosts. I'm Josh. I'm Jamie, and that's Jamie. <laughs> Sorry, we're a little out of it this morning. <laughs> yeah, we we have 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 woken up and haven't had our coffees yet, but we're here and we're going. Um, we are back this week. Obviously, talking more sleazy movies, I think two weeks ago would have been the last time you guys would have heard from us free listeners, Uh, and we would have had special guest uh, film programming assistant at the New York Film at Lincoln Center, uh, Maddie Whittle, and she brought with her two films uh, specifically uh, addressing snuff films and voyeurism. That was uh, 1960 Peeping Tom. Directed by uh, Michael Powell, one half, one half of uh, Powell Pressburger, more of a prestige filmmaker who basically killed his career to make the first De Palma movie. <laughs> yeah,
3: so we appreciate him for it. <laughs> so
1: thanks, Michael Powell, for doing that, um, yeah, for
3: ruining your entire a, a career.
1: masterpiece. And we we talked about that uh, alongside eight millimeter Joel Schumacher's. Nick cage, uh, baby. version of seven starring nick cage <laughs>
3: yeah
1: uh so it was an interesting conversation if you want to hear that again uh that was two weeks ago any podcast listener of choice but last week because of the release of dr sleep which uh, jamie and i still haven't seen yet but i know oh, some of you yet. guys have, hope you hope it's good uh we're gonna check it out at some point here but in honor of that we did finally the big one the shining we yes. we, we tend to kind of avoid Hubric. the uh the real big ones that everyone's already talked about or seen a million times on this show. We like to kind of uncover some stuff, but every once in a while we got to do one. So we did the Shining and, uh, from 1980, Stanley Kubrick, obviously. And we paired it with its Australian counterpart from 1982, (laughs) directed by the, uh, on the opposing end of Kubrick, someone who was not known at all for anything, Tony Williams. Not Um, at all. But next of kin actually is an incredibly underrated, um, horror film very it, moody very dreamy has it's an, an incredible amazing, finale yeah an amazing, amazing uh uh synth score
3: by one half of yeah. tangerine dream on that so um, good and, and then that cool uh, accidental explosion at the end of the yes, movie. Yes, they
1: accidentally triggered an explosion too early and got a one take in the final shot completely by accident. That
3: works amazing. And I yeah, think Jamie it's said it's it. So good. It was a
1: combination of the ending of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the ending of like any eighties action movie you've ever seen. <laughs>
3: yeah, or just something explodes.
1: Yes. Uh, so if you haven't seen Next of Kin, it, or you just, you know, you want to hear us talk about The Shining and Next of Kin together, that was last week's uh, bonus episode for for Patreon listeners, and that was a pretty big one. Yeah. Uh, so again, Patreon.com. I think we did like
3: an hour on The Shining yeah. or something like that. <laughs> As one does. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Patreon.com slash Podcast will get you that episode. But this week, pivoting off of, you know, hitting up our rare Australian film that we hit up, we have Australian friend of the show and Australian correspondent with us and three-time returning guest and to be fair yeah. and also the only returning guest coming back for his That's third true. time
3: third time that you've beaten, whoever comes back again you've already beaten he's them. already
1: he's he's taken a victory lap he's already got the record he's gonna <laughs> hold that record for longer we have That's incredible of the bunta vista socialist club podcast we have andrew law andrew how are you doing
0: hey guys i'm doing good how are you
1: Oh, we're doing pretty good. I Thanks mean this is on. this is why we're up so early. We're up so early because we are here with Andrew, who it is actually super late for.
3: Yeah.
0: But That's, through I think, the... we, I think we got like some double daylight savings happening. Yes. Um...
1: <laughs> we have Australian and Canadian daylight savings at the same time. Things are crazy. Yeah. But we're yeah. all we're all here, and we're all here specifically because Andrew, for the third time, has brought two films with him. because uh, as a, a regular visitor of the show as well as a listener of the show and a patron of the show. He's always got ideas for us. And I had never seen either of these two. So we'll let Andrew introduce both of them. So Andrew, what two films have you brought with you this week and why do they pair together?
0: Oh, these movies are a treat. They're a true treat for the senses and the mind. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, I guess, uh, well, the, the previous uh, times that I was on the first time, the, the theme was, I guess, um, sort of Australian cult movies. We had Razorback and The Long Weekend. The second time was uh, kind of rock and roll themed cult movies. The uh, Streets of Fire, which absolutely whips ass. Uh, <laughs> and Wild Zero. Everybody, oh. Everybody loved Streets of Fire. That is good stuff. And I Um, loved Wild Zero. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I was going to say,
1: honestly, a lot of our patrons really loved Wild Zero, too. I saw them talking about it in the Discord recently where they were basically like, some people were going back and listening to that episode and being like, man, Wild Zero is just absolutely insane. Yes, it is. So JV's opinion has stood the test of time more (laughs) than mine so far. That's right. Excellent.
0: (laughs) Uh, So this week, I guess, partially, I just wanted to pick... Um, you know some of my absolute favorite cult horror kind of movies um, that that are just straight out my favorites because they are just really fun and I think they're both just legitimately sneakily good movies like good comedies. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess the theme for that sort of joins both of these is uh, horror buddy comedies essentially.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, so they're, they're both fronted by a, a duo of wisecracking friends. Um, they both have a lot of very sort of uh, snappy, fast-paced dialogue. Um, and they're both, like I said, I think, I think they're both sort of uh, quite underrated. Uh, I'd, I'd never really see a lot of people talking about either of these movies. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so one is uh, 1986's Night of the Creeps, uh, directed by Fred Decker. Um, which is about two friends who accidentally unleash a plague of uh, alien zombies in their, in their university. And the other is uh, 1988's Dead Heat, which is basically a buddy cop uh, horror zombie comedy, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. The way the way that I would a-
1: describe it is it's Shane Black's reanimator. <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> yeah. For sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there are um and there are multiple Shane Black connections throughout these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, there's uh, uh, I th- I think the other thing that you really get from both of these movies, apart from, uh, like I said, clearly having an interest in actually being kind of, uh, you know, have having having really, sort of, uh, really um, fun characters that you actually like to see throughout the movie, which is not all that common for horror movies. A lot of the time with horror movies, they're deliberately setting up like, you know, teens as being disposable, that kind of thing. Yeah, Uh, These very likable characters, but I think both of them also have a really strong sense of the people making them having a great love for horror movies themselves. Um, They both seem very, very uh, full of references to other horror movies. Um, you know, both of them feature older horror movies playing on TVs in the background of movies, or characters making direct them have references big, to those
1: uh, Corman uh, connections as well. Yep.
0: Okay. So yeah, I think there's, uh, I think there's a real vibe that I get from these of both the people making the movies enjoying making the movies, which always makes a movie fun to watch. I think, um, but that they also just genuinely love the horror movies of of the fifties. Sort of all the way through. Uh, and they're both prime kind of 80s stuff. So,
1: love well, right. Yeah, so that's what, that's what we're going to be doing today. And I think we're going to jump right into it. We are going to start here with Night of the Creeps. Let's do it. They are a new of terror.
2: Freak! They are a different kind of horror. Zombies, exploding heads, creepy crawlies... We could have a little problem. The Creeps are taking over. I got
1: good
3: news and bad news, girls. Hi. The good news is your dates are here.
2: What's the bad news?
3: They're dead. You have never had a night like this. Night of the Creeps.
2: If you scream,
1: you're dead. All right, we are talking Night of the Creeps, the 1986 American sci fi horror comedy film written and directed by one Fred Decker. Uh, this is, was also his directorial debut. Oh, nice. Um, the film yeah. obviously is a bit of an homage to kind of um, uh, B movie genre movies of kind of yesteryear, a little bit of 50s sci-fi, yeah. a little bit yeah. of old school comedy, um, kind of updated with uh, obviously the sort of 80s effects craze that uh, yeah. that, that that went through there, and plenty um, of
3: split open heads and. Yes, every
1: character in this is named after someone that he was inspired by. So if you're curious what directors he's sort of uh, uh, mimicking here, you can see it in uh, the one character who is named James Carpenter Hooper okay <laughs> uh one girl's last name i think it, she's just cindy cronenberg <laughs> uh, oh, there's, yeah, there's yeah.
0: cynthia cronenberg there's uh de- detective landis there's yep. sergeant ray sergeant ramey uh officer craven
2: <laughs>
0: uh, yep. officer oh, officer yeah, d- d- bava
1: detective cameron oh there's a bava in here too <laughs>
0: uh yep officer bava wow uh and of course the other main character's name is chris romero yes
1: Which uh, which obviously it also takes its title from, Night of the Creeps, Night of the Living Dead.
3: Yeah. Same deal.
1: This is also a zombie film in its own way, but it is kind of a genre-bending zombie film as well. (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
3: even the... uh the very opening with these like baby alien looking things running around. I'm going to be honest
1: to you. The opening of this is my favorite part of them. I mean, I also really like the climax, but I'd say like the first five to 10 minutes and the last like five to 10 minutes (laughs) were my favorite parts of this film because this, this opening, which starts um, just completely out of nowhere with what is very clearly little people in alien costumes running around. And there's a whole history implied in this scene that you never, ever get to find out what really happened. But you have some idea of one alien, presumably a scientist, goes rogue. He's running around with a, with a giant canister of something ominous. And he's running through. And there's subtitles both for us and then also alien subtitles. Uh, Which I,
0: I feel like that really sets the <laughs> sets the tone for like the kind of playfulness of the movie is the the alien subtitles up the top and then in brackets the human ones but yeah. like the English yeah. <laughs> subtitles underneath.
1: Yes, and so clearly <laughs> there's been some sort of uh, dividing uh situation happening between these aliens and one launches the canister out of the spaceship and down to earth and as it's flying down to earth and with this is very clearly you know sort of like a campy 80 sci-fi thing going on yeah. and when the canister falls we switch to black and white we are in 1959 i think and then you get you know uh a riff on like a really old school kind of uh teen horror movie it reminded me a yeah. little bit of chuck russell's the blob Uh, Yeah, just in black and white. Even (laughs)
3: like just the the thing being sent from space too, and they see the meteor crash and all that, you know? Mm.
1: Um, But there's the two lovers sitting out at, you know, Lover's Lane. They're listening to the the radio where it's like... uh, the sanitarium has reported a a missing patient, a psycho yeah. killer out there, uh, and, and he's, he's. And
3: meanwhile, there's doo wop music in the, on the radio yeah. and all that, you know. <laughs>
1: he's on he, he's on Route sixty six, headed for Corman University, <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And then <laughs> the next that, thing like, we classic know, classic hook
3: hand story, you know.
1: Exactly, but then merged with you know a very, um, we'll say, explicit uh gore sequence when the canister reveals to have some sort of slug inside that takes the boyfriend out and then the uh killer i guess chops up yeah <laughs> the like axes, young girl acts axe, the axes the, girl. the hell out of her while she's in the car uh so i gotta say like i was i was pretty into this like kind of like right off the start yeah um, and to
3: make that cool stylistic choice of, you know, it's, it's black and white. They're, they're given that fifties vibe. And, and I wasn't expecting that either, especially with the beginning, you have the aliens and then you have this fifties thing and then it goes into the eighties. Yeah. It's almost it like one there.
1: film like enters the universe of another film. yeah Like it's a very interesting, like Stark style transition going from the alien sequence in space to, to directly into what feels like sort of like a 50s sci-fi teen movie right like, like honestly if it feels like the 50s blob for a second
3: yeah exactly
0: <laughs> well and there's even the uh the other references to some classic 50s stuff as well like uh one of the girls at the sorority house that he picks his date up from um is asking one of the other ones have you seen plan nine from outer space which came out in 1959
1: Exactly.
3: Oh nice. Yeah, the, okay. the
1: the famously atrocious Ed Wood film Planned yeah. out from Outer Space, which also I think is also the film that plays on the T V later that gets blood on it when the old lady's watching it on, on oh, TV. Oh
3: right, yeah. I think I remember seeing it's the uh I can't I don't know her name in the movie, but she's the the tall, uh black dressed woman. Yes.
1: But shortly after that it, it switches all the way to uh nineteen eighty six, present day when this film came out. Um, and it turns into a bit more of what I would say is kind of like uh, Andrew said that it was kind of has like a bit of a buddy scenario going on. But it, it honestly felt to me more of like a teen coming of age slash yeah. sex
3: comedy. Like the, the nerd scenario. trying to get laid a little bit. Yeah, like a, a little. It turns yeah. into some more like romantic kind of stuff rather than just him trying to get laid. but yeah. uh, <laughs> But it starts that way. Yeah, definitely. That's, his, that's it, his motivation at first. I mean,
1: a lot of the plotting in the first half of the film involves like sororities and pledges and the two yeah. geeks trying to, you know, get with the girls that they like or or one trying to do that and the other one yeah, just being there. Yeah, the other one just out. kind of
3: being supportive. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's got or like already the first like 15 minutes of this film, we have like we have some 50 sci-fi, some Plan 9 from Outer Space. We have Corman University, obviously a reference to the uh, late, great Roger Corman, who, you know, uh, was a producer and a filmmaker uh, on all kinds of controversial 50s films and also hired, had a keen eye for talent and hired some of the great, you know, filmmakers we know now. Someone like Joe Dante got his career started working um, for Roger Corman. So they have a university named after him for obvious reasons in this this (laughs) film. Um, but then also you get, you know, kind of like a bit of uh, a teen sex comedy, Revenge of the Nerds style thing happening, though not necessarily some of the sour aspects of that, but just, (laughs) uh, and then also you get introduced to, as the slugs start invading people's brains as they do, you get introduced to a little bit of a body horror zombie film, a little bit of an infection horror film too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It it, it feels like a bit of a, um, bit of a, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, I was type, just gonna
3: say, yeah,
0: that vibe too, which is,
1: I guess, also a '50s sci-fi movie that was uh, also remade. I want to say in the oh, '70s. Yeah.
3: yeah, I think late '70s. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, and I guess, like, I, I definitely get struck with this film by just how sort of snappy the writing is between a lot of the characters. Like for me, there's there's a lot of very uh, very genuine laugh out loud moments of of dialogue in this stuff and just the interactions between people like around the around the start of the movie when they go into the frat party to try and follow Cynthia Cronenberg when they first see her. And um JC is trying to encourage Chris to stop being a bummer about some girl that he broke up with and go and try and, you know, meet this girl that he's looking at. And when they go in and talk and uh, uh, JC goes over to interrupt the conversation between Cynthia and this jock and says, oh, hey, there's a phone call for you up the front. And the guy just goes, whoa, thanks, dude. <laughs> and, like, Very turns, Bill and
1: Ted moment. Turns and
0: walks off. <laughs> yeah, like um, there's, there's a lot of really good dialogue in this thing, um, which uh, I guess is sort of one of the Shane Black connections for me because apparently um, – at the time that Fred Decker wrote this, he was best friends with Shane Black. Oh, nice! Um, and he he originally set this as a as a writing exercise for himself, where he said, "I need to write a movie, and I'm going to write one in seven days. And if I don't <laughs> finish if I don't finish writing a movie in seven days, I'm throwing it out. And if I do finish, I'll make it. And this is the movie that he made after writing it in seven days. And then oh, after incredible. this movie. <laughs> And then after this movie, he went on to direct Monster Squad, which he co-wrote with Shane Black. Mm-hmm. So um, so yeah, I think the, I, I definitely get that sort of sense of that Blackian sense of uh, just putting a lot of kind of fun snappy dialogue all the way through things you know
1: yeah well and it it makes a good connection with dead heat which was written by terry black shane black's brother and also (laughs) has a cameo by shane black in dead heat (laughs) oh wow i didn't even notice (laughs) one of the first times he ever appeared on screen if not the first time he actually ever appeared oh very cool that's awesome um so yeah both of these have that kind of um are are aiming for a bit of a witty buddy um yeah snappy I think is 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 the still right also
3: word. mixed with like that that violence too because when it gets when it starts ramping up the the horror they really go for it when it comes to the makeup and stuff there's so many split heads in this movie it's unbelievable. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say that um, the the one thing that I don't know totally works about Night of the Creeps is I would say that, because, like, you're right that they, they definitely go for the gore effects, but they definitely always treat kind of the situation, I find, kind of like a bit of a joke.
3: Sure, Until,
1: yeah. you know, more gross things kind of start happening. I would say uh, until the friend dies in the bathroom, things are kind of pretty light, I would say.
3: Yeah, yeah. Like, the kills aren't taken, it, it, like, too Even though seriously. some of them are pretty
1: gruesome. Actually, I, I think I think the thing I think that's taken the most seriously and the thing that I appreciate for, I mean, sort of being, this has a whole kind of winking vibe to it the entire time. Yeah, Like, again, it's, it's sort of riffing on, you know, what it thinks are kind of, like, bad, pulpy 50s movies, like, movies that were poorly made because of limitations. Right. And he's clearly um, sort of mimicking something similar um, because he has, you know, an affection for it. Like he, he likes those kinds of movies. So he's, you know, he's, he's affectionately re- re-rendering them, but there's a subplot here because we've talked about the 50 sci-fi. We've talked about the buddy, uh, teen movie. Mm-hmm. We've talked a little bit about the zombie horror, but the fourth genre that's thrown in here is the best. And this is the detective pulp subplot with yeah. the amazing <laughs> a hard-boiled cup Yeah, subplot. this is
3: like the third time we've talked about this guy. And too, Tom right?
1: Atkins, yeah. who obviously famous, he was in Escape from New York and 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 The Fog, and he was the lead in uh, Halloween, Halloween Three, Three yeah. which Jamie and I already talked about on the show, and which I personally just like love that movie and love his. Oh, performance and I guess we that. haven't
3: talked about him twice because we just watched The Fog, but we did watch we, yeah, The Fog. We didn't, which is we didn't review other, it yet. The other
0: Carpenter <laughs> that he. Was uh, in. Tom Atkins was also in Lethal Weapon, Shane Black's first screenplay. Yes,
3: he was. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so Tom Atkins, I think, gives the best performance in this film as the sort of aged, cynical detective who actually lived through the 50 scenario that we watch. Uh, and we find out that he was the cop who was first at the scene and it was his ex-girlfriend who was butchered in the car.
3: Yeah. And we um, find out through this, uh, this dream, which is also black and white again. And when he approaches the, the car too, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty visceral. Like there's well, yeah, and, a lot and, and that of And the dream violence.
1: starts with him relaxing on the beach, but then his girlfriend rises out of the water and she's oh, not yeah. wet. And so there's something off about that immediately. And yeah. then his dream transitions mm. into him finding her corpse. And then I think it transitions one more time before he like f- wakes up because it's, the yeah. z- it's I think it's the zombie holding the axe looking at his face or like this rotting corpse looking at him. Yeah. And then it's this really intense, sweaty close up of him as he wakes up. And he's just like, all right, we got you a cryogenic corpse to go investigate. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. all right, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: and- and so this, this ties into the teen frat shenanigans plot because in his attempt to impress Cynthia, um, Chris attempts to pledge a, fr- a frat, um, which is also fronted by Cynthia's current boyfriend. Uh, is it the, the Bradster?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Pl- platinum, bro- platinum blonde, uh, convertible driving... Exuding just wonderful douche energy, <laughs>
2: uh,
0: Brad, and he he says to them, you know, what what can you offer? We've already got all the good pledges. What can you offer us? And um, the the thing that they decide to task Chris and JC with is stealing a corpse and putting it on the steps of one of the one of the frat or sorority houses, and they wind up going down to the the medical building. Stumbling their way into an experimental lab, which contains a cryogenic experiment, and who should the body be in there but the the teen from the 1950s who, who got, the got slug
1: in the brain, right?
0: Who got the old slug invasion? <laughs> and they they pull him out of the the big unnerving, which thing, by the way, um, weird
1: weird. Pledge initiation, right?
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Find yeah. a corpse. Yeah.
3: yeah. It was like uh, it was like the trophy thing. Yeah, for, exactly. For yeah, that's what I was reminded too. We do. We I just. I guess this did, one's a little more morbid, though.
1: We just did a sorority babes and the slime bowl bolorama yeah. where the sorority oh, yeah. pledges have to go steal a trophy from the local bowling av- alley, which yeah. has a jive talking imp yeah. in, inside yeah. of it. sorority things are just the most
3: random <laughs> things you have to do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> So, I mean, 80s movies had a weird idea on what pledge initiations were, and I'm glad I had no part in that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and uh, you- so, yeah, they, they try to steal the body, um, get freaked out, and, and run. But uh, somehow, the body gets up and makes its way away from the scene, but not without killing uh, the lab technician that was there first. And this is what then brings uh, the detective into the piece. Detective yeah. Cameron.
1: Mr. Mister Tom Atkins, who shows up on the scene and is just kind of like an asshole to everyone. That's his thing. I, yeah. And I mean, also, they deserve it. Because I think they say that they're they were like, okay, so how did the corpse just leave? They were like, yeah, well, two of us went to the washroom at the same time.
3: They abstained
1: it. We just weren't watching. The cameras were off. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> guards were asleep yeah who knows what really happened <laughs> but the corpse got up and left and yeah af- after kind of that situation it is just the cryogenic slug man walking around killing people infecting people and the kids sort well, he, of being the he one he goes
0: back goes back to the sorority house where he was meant to pick up his date
3: Oh, right, <laughs> Yeah, of course. He's got priorities, <laughs> even as a as a killer slug zombie. You know, <laughs> <laughs> keeps to his schedule.
0: Yeah, uh, but unfortunately, his head falls open, and a bunch of weird alien slugs come out, uh, freaking out all the girls.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate, as it would. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and also he goes to the sorority house, and they they just they happen to have a bunch of brains in the basement because they need the yes, brains for their,
0: for their science experiments. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: They were just like I mean I guess you could keep it here but
3: put it in the basement. <laughs> yeah. yeah these uh these zombie slugs really landed in a prime spot, you know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and also as that corpse walks out the the door, I liked the joke where the the one cop is like walking by. Oh no, he's it's not when he's walking out of there. It's when they the one guy oh, is the,
0: the lab tech is walking it has been has, has sat up out of the autopsy room and is leaving. And yes. the guy swats past him and says, Yeah, hey, have a good night.
2: Yeah.
1: See you <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow, man. Yeah. To look yeah. Up.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, I thought that, that was a pretty good joke. But, but all uh, of I, this I, kind of starts coming to a head because it's formal season, man. Yeah. So as the zombie infection is kind of ramping up and slowly taking its victims and adding people, at one point it takes out an entire bus of of dates. Of all, 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 all the men. Uh,
3: <laughs> yeah, and I love too. It's the uh, like watching the the bus crash, and then it, I think it cuts to something else briefly, and then goes back. And every single passenger is just rising up as a zombie. Yeah, just ready to go
1: yeah and 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 so that's happening while like the only three people aware of what's happening are are two buddies who who dethawed the the corpse in the first place yeah <laughs> and then there's Tom Atkins who is who was on on the case and though he's not a hundred percent sure what's happening here um, it is revealed uh, obviously sort of as we've mentioned that he um, was uh, someone first on the scene as sort of a young patrolman to the original psycho attack and the boyfriend getting slugged in the brain from the fifties. And that has sort of traumatized him. And I thought that his arc or at least his kind of uh, wide eyed, kind of wiry traumatized, uh, character arc, uh, was kind of like the most, uh, intense thing that was kind of happening. Yeah. And because he's the most kind of grotesque, like actual person in the film, Yeah, because the two kids are obviously just you know trying to protect people. They're trying to figure out the you know kind of what's going on. They're like first
3: year college students. I mean, they're really just trying to figure shit out here. (laughs) They get
1: traumatized by Tom Atkins telling them the story about how he actually killed uh, the murderer. He killed the murderer. uh, By and by the way, not. Uh, by showing up, and the guy was hacking the girl away, but the guy actually was never there. He was already gone by the time he arrived yeah, there. So he
3: finds him. He and hunts then, him down. Like, shoots him in the head with a shoddy or something like yep, that. Yep, like and then shoddy.
1: buries him and doesn't tell anyone ever. And he was, and the kid's just like so. Beyond like confessing Mur- to a murderer. murder uh, and hiding it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: you're gonna help us, but right? But it's it's just like
1: one of the like most like purest psycho moments like in the film is just when like yeah. Tom Atkins reveals that yeah, I just straight up murdered
3: someone. And it's someone. Tense, too. It's like yeah. closing up on his face. He's sweating, and then Chris is just looking at him like. Dude, what the fuck?
1: <laughs> well yeah, he just kinda has like a, a whole like uh cynical, like suicidal energy to him. At one point, he actually is just gonna blow up his own house with him inside of it. Yeah. he started, he, he's, he turns the oven on for that for those purposes. And it's not until Which, like
0: Like I, I I very much liked how um how his whole sort of plot unfolds because he has like they they initially kind of introduced this stuff to you through a series of um, a series of dreams that he wakes up from, and each time you kind of see a bit more of mm-hmm. what was happening, like what he saw. Um, and it becomes very obvious that he is just completely haunted by this thing.
1: Yeah. Um and, and it's
0: ruined it's ruined his life, you know. Well, and what's the line and, he
1: gets to? He's like my high school is like you're still pursuing your high school sweetheart. My high school sweetheart got hacked up by a nutcase with an axe. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So, yeah. so so it's like it it's basically having you sort of reimagine the version of this sort of like coming of age teen comedy type scenario that's happening with this kid and he's just like now imagine that infected by like a grotesque horror film. And yeah. I, I feel like that's what this film is going for. But I feel like, and, you know, um, my, my take for for this is I I was I felt a little bit weaker on this one in comparison to Dead Heat. But it was mostly because I felt like the movie wasn't taking that premise as seriously as, I mean, I, it's I, obviously a comedy film. For sure. But the sort of, like... The pain of that, of like you're in something that should be a lighter film, and then all of a sudden, like your high school sweetheart is killed, something like that. Your best friend is killed. Yeah. I feel like I didn't quite feel that as much at for the kids as I did with Tom Atkins' character. I felt like Tom Atkins really hammered home like the soul of that. Yeah. Because I think he's just a really good actor. Yeah. Um, and he's almost like he
0: was was in a. Almost like he was in a parallel movie to the other characters of points. Yeah, yeah. A, a little, Absolutely.
1: a little bit, and but but also like you know they they do gesture towards it a little bit with the kids. Like the the one friend is really upset when he finds out that his other friend is killed, and he hears that tape of yeah. the, that the kid that he made for him
3: telling. And it's him. really heartwarming too. I mean, he's straight up just like, "I love you. Good luck with Cynthia." You yeah, know, it's just like, <laughs> oh man, like, yeah. <laughs> it, it's really uh, heart wrenching, and and also the the whole time having his character really prop his friend up and, and try to get him with the girl and all that. Like he was one of the most supportive friends that, I that I've seen in, in, in some of these films. So well, it he was, has that it line earlier on too, death.
1: where he's just like, it's you're my friend. And like, it's important to me that you're happy.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And um, he even gets mad at him where he's just like, dude, I keep trying to help you and you don't appreciate what I do for you. <laughs> you know, all that. So it was pretty well, yeah, heart wrenching like, to watch him go.
0: And I, I do wonder if, um, just, just pacing wise, The way that JC's character works out is that you're introduced to him at the start of the movie, and he's like cracking jokes about everything and, you know, making light of everything. He's very, very cavalier in like pushing his friend to pursue this girl that he's seen, um, very actively going out of his way to kind of help him and everything. And when they do get freaked out by trying to steal this body and bail out and go back to their house, he does have this. This monologue of, um, of you know, I you're you're all depressed about this girl and I want you to brighten up. So, you know, I, I go along with everything you want to do and you want to join a stupid frat. And I'm like, I don't really want to do that. But hey, if it might make my pal happy, I'll do it. And they say we got to steal a body. And I'm like, <laughs> hey. You know, and <laughs> try and make the friend happy, and he's like, "You're miserable about everything. All I'm trying to do is help you, and you're just a downer about all of it." You know, yeah, and and like the the fact that his character does die sort of two thirds of the way through the movie makes me feel like his. His, um, I guess, emotional arc is a bit accelerated in the movie. Mm. Yeah. Uh, like, like, it feels like that monologue happens very early in <laughs> no, the film.
1: No, that's, that's, that's true. That, that's true. I was watching it with my buddy, and uh, when, when we were watching it, he said, this feels like the thing that happens at the end of the film. Where like, he's, like, 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 really the third trying act, to motivate the the at, well, yeah. yeah, it feels like the, the third act, like, a
0: near-breakup fight between the so two you gotta friends. you
3: got to go out and you got to ask the girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that whole thing.
0: But um but I guess the other thing that's to me, I guess, minorly noteworthy about this movie, just in terms of like uh representation, because one of the things that I often like like it's it's very hard to avoid watching uh, older movies without watching them through like the lens of how we think about things today. Like revenge of the nerds is a great example. The whole, the yeah. whole scene at the end of that, where he, he kind of has non-consensual sex with the girl in order to win her over. Yeah. Um, and she goes, Oh, hasn't cool. aged well. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. You we were, you were good at it. So it's, it's fine. Yeah. If you were bad at it, I would feel differently, but instead, yeah. but instead- it's cool. um, so you know, obviously something like that aged very badly, but but it's also interesting to me when you watch an older movie and you go, "Huh, that was actually quite reasonable." And mm-hmm. um, so Chris's friend J C is, uh, he has crutches and he's disabled, but it's kind of not really a. a pivotal point in the movie about anything like it it kind of comes up in a few minor contexts of
3: mostly like bullying it seemed like i remember there's one scene where brad trips jc like trips his actual walkers that he uses Mm. um yeah so like (laughs) although like
1: and and the only other time it comes into play of the actual film is the when he has to crawl through the bathroom stall
3: right right which that that uh I mean, that, that I actually thought a that that was, element. I, I, think, yeah, that's I, I effective. honestly
1: think that that was one of the better horror yeah, sequences. I agree. Um, just because they, they seem to take the the physical threat a little bit more seriously as he's, right. um, you know, putting the match underneath, burning up the slug and then trying to crawl away. But he, you know, he can't get away fast enough. The slugs are still a little bit faster. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: Well, there's, there's also, um, there's also the bit right at the start when they're trying to steal the body and obviously he's not helping try to carry the body he's just like is that heavy it looks heavy uh, (laughs) and and you know he kind of makes vague reference to it in his monologue where he says you know i figure i'm never going to get laid so i might as well help you out but as far as like it's it's not a thing that is played for for jokes at the expense of the character um it's it's not the i guess i guess as well it's not the defining feature of him as a character. In the same way that it, when you watch a lot of older movies, like the Gay Best Friends, entire <laughs> character is they are gay. Yeah, yeah, they are like very very camp, and that's it. That's their whole personality. Whereas, yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting to see a movie from the mid eighties where one of the mm. main characters is disabled, and it's not really a big deal in the movie.
3: Yeah, for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, just just an interesting thing to think about, I think. But um. Yeah, like, uh, as, as you said, Josh, it kind of, things start to kind of careen out of control as the, as the slugs start to spread to more and more people, turning them into.
1: Yeah, I, I do, chambling. I do, uh, and I think that this and both Dead Heat use a little bit of the same gag, though I think Dead Heat does it a little bit better. But they, they use that gag where the cops are just laying into the zombie as much as they can. It even does like that, uh, sort of like, uh, uh zoom dolly like jaws effect as uh tom atkins is realizing that like the thing's not going down and there's like five of them all laying at it and eventually he whips out the shotgun and shotguns its head off and all of the slugs like scurry away out of his head which is uh one of the um more impressive effects in the movies i also like how it uh interacts with Tom Atkins who has that line where he's like creepy crawlies and a date to the formal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um,
3: I could definitely be the tagline, you know, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, the, the, these, these slugs, they, they enter through people's mouths. They incubate in the brain <laughs> is, is, is the big thing that they, they do. And yeah, they take over the entire bus of uh, dates of of uh, of all the men heading to the sorority to pick up all of their girlfriends for for the formal. Um, and then it is up to Chris and Tom Atkins, who is at that point just after confessing murder to a child, has decided <laughs> that that's it. He's gonna end his life. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you know well, what? Well, this, thi- this was.
0: <laughs> this was the point where um, where Chris, you know, comes back to his room. So this is after CJ's been in the bathroom with a bunch of these, these slugs scooting around, and Chris comes back to his dorm room and finds the tape recording that CJ has left him, saying, there's one of them inside me. I don't have a heartbeat anymore. It's like, it's it's a mortifying thing to find on a tape recording.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um. And and he goes to he goes to Detective Cameron's house um, to to say you know they they got my friend and they're spreading and everything, but um but when he gets there, well and
1: and also telling him that he's not crazy right like Tom Atkins' whole thing is that he's the only one who really believes that there's something going like on. really almost supernatural carnage happening yeah um, well
0: he kind of believes it before the kids do.
1: Yeah, no, he does. He, well, and that's just it. so I think board, I think when the yeah. kid hears his it's killed his friend and his friend is telling him, you know, sort of expositorily all the rules about how they finish them off and all of this, uh that that energizes him because at that point he's about to commit suicide, but it's not until Chris shows up at his door and is like, "You're right. There's something here. They got my friend. We need to" Fucking burn their shit to the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but he
0: also, yeah. He, he rouses, um, he rouses Cameron to come and answer the door. Who looks like he's been drinking or something. <laughs> and <laughs> and yeah, like I, I, uh, like obviously you don't sort of put it together at first. But when he comes over to the door, he tears this duct tape from around the frame of the door before he can open it. And I'd sort of thought, oh, is he trying to stop the 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 brain slugs from getting in you know um but instead chris is there and he says you know they killed my best friend um and and they're everywhere we got to go and do something about it and he goes right this shit is real goes over to his bed gets out his gets out his pump action shotgun and his shells puts on his classic detective trench coat and while this is happening um you you sort of see all of this a a lot of him putting on his coat and stuff like that with a with a shot where you just see him kind of from the shoulders down and a bit out of focus and in the background what the camera's actually focused on is the oven uh which is open with the gas going full blast yeah because apparently he had just been in the middle of killing himself (laughs) yeah yep but uh but but again like it's like you said, I, th- I think if you know, so if the the movie sort of tonally was played a bit straighter, I think a lot of those scenes would be even more affecting than they are. But even even I I, I think
1: I think with the Tom Atkins character, it walks the perfect line of like he's a little bit within this movie, yeah, like like he's a little bit of like a caricature of a detective. But they take and Atkins, at least as an actor, takes the emotional pain of his character very seriously. So even though that's technically a gag, it's a really dark fucking gag. Yeah. So for me, that's the stuff that really worked for this film. Like almost everything with Atkins, he's he really only gets like fifteen minutes, twenty minutes of this film. Like everything with him, like worked like gangbusters on me. Yeah, Uh, it was it was mostly like um, the kids stuff, which is just a a tiny bit weaker than that. And then they obviously are the ones who have to uncover the plot that we kind of already know. Like the movie kind of. engages you as an audience member and you know these genres you kind of know So you're it.
3: watching the characters uncover yeah it you're watching than, the characters yeah.
1: uncover it and they don't uncover it until like like th- that kid doesn't go up to atkins until like the final 15 minutes of the film
3: yeah that's true that's true that's it, it takes them a long
1: time before the kid believes kind of like what's happening uh in the film although when they figure it out and the final 15 minutes of this film are spectacular.
3: Oh yeah. <laughs> um
1: and and I, I knew they were spectacular when it opened with Tom Atkins taking him to the gun inventory, where Dick Miller is there. <laughs> Obviously, we've talked about Dick Miller cameos w- was he in everything. a Chopping Mall. He was in Chopping was Mall, janitor, another film right? that was very inspired yeah. by Dante. So everyone who's ever worked with uh or you know, um been inspired by dante who was again worked with corman and was inspired by corman dick miller was actually the lead in one of my favorite roger corman films a bucket of blood so like oh, cool. dick miller was like an icon to anyone who worked in kind of like this independent low budget was kind he of also in gremlins scene. yeah he was in gremlins right, he, the... he was he had a cameo appearance in every dante film right basically. okay cool
0: um, uh, apparently apparently there are Deleted scenes from um Dead Heat. Yes, I that heard were, that. That were cut that were like restored in later versions, but Dick Miller was in one of them. Yeah, Dick oh, Miller was awesome. supposed to be in Dead Heat. It's yeah, he everywhere. shot
1: scenes. Well, and also they in yeah. in Dead Heat they have the Dante pharmaceuticals. So, right like, they're referencing Dante as well.
0: Um, yeah, just a, a lot of weird little connections between these two movies.
1: Yeah, I mean, both obviously are just inspired by um, very expressly by Roger Corman, who was like the godfather of fifties and sixties like genre movies, both sci fi horror. He even, I mean, Roger Corman. We'll get into it. He literally is the producer on Dead Heat. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> There you go. Um, but Dick Miller shows up in this gun inventory at the at the police station, and this joke is amazing. Where he goes up and he's just like, you know what, man, I need a flamethrower, and he's like, all right all right, I'll go check and see if we got one. Yeah. And of course they have a flamethrower and he's, and what is it? Damn Dick right. Miller has the line. He's just like old snub nose just ain't good enough. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> you really need to just light them off. Um, and yeah, like I, that, that bit got me and he doesn't have the requisition forms to actually get it. Cause why would you, why would there be I requisition forms? Just giving it to him. Well, yeah. Cause why uh, would there even be? I love be? that the
0: problem, the problem is that he doesn't have the forms. it's <laughs> <Yeah>. not, <laughs>
1: It's but not that. Why would you? Why, a would, you, why would a? Why would a detective need a flamethrower in the first place? It's not the proper
3: yeah, paperwork.
0: Yeah, you
1: man. need the proper paperwork, bro. <laughs> so he just points a shotgun at him and says, "This is my paperwork," basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but they get the flamethrower. They head to the sorority house where the dates are already sort of attacking everyone, and there is a pretty good gag too, where Brad now a, a zombified slug alien, uh, but. The girlfriend Cynthia Cronenberg doesn't realize she grabs him by the hand, she sits him down, and starts having a heart to heart with the zombie
0: before breaking up with
3: zombie. Starts breaking
1: up with the zombie, yeah. with the zombie
3: before and he doesn't take it well, no, throws a slug right into her mouth.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> before Chris shows up, um, lights him, uh, no, sorry, Tom Atkins shotguns him in the head and explodes his head in tandem with Chris who ignites the flamethrower and lights the slugs on fire fly- on fire so they can't scurry away right in front of her who she thought was her live boyfriend.
3: Okay, so she actually <laughs> doesn't get slugged. No,
1: she doesn't get slugged.
3: Okay, okay. I think what I was thinking of was when the oh, is when the dog slugs Brad. That's <laughs> that's what I was thinking of. But also when uh, Chris, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. when Chris uh, flamethrowers Brad, I will note that he seems really happy about doing yeah. that. <laughs> like really, really stoked that he gets to flamethrower Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Like he was just waiting for that excuse, you know. Yeah, which is which, <laughs> which is
1: actually like a a pretty funny thing that he's obviously inflicting carnage and he's pretty stoked about it. Yeah, meanwhile, like meanwhile, evening. she's horrified because she doesn't she didn't even know that he was a zombie. Yeah, it just
3: <laughs> looks like Chris came up <laughs> and, and flame started flamethrower. <laughs> oh my god, what an evening!
1: So yeah, that's just a pretty good gag too.
0: Um, I guess it, it is worth noting that there are there is both a zombie cat and a zombie dog in this movie.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Yes. <laughs> it's beautiful.
1: But all the girls are pretty horrified that all of their dates are being shotgunned and flamethrowered because they are actually zombie alien slug men. <laughs> and Tom Atkins gets this iconic line as he's running in there and he's <laughs> like, "All right, good news everyone, your dates are here. Bad news, they're dead." <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Uh, he just he's just so gung-ho on his delivery of everything in this movie oh
1: man Tom Atkins I think honestly he's the man. he he really sold this movie for me front to back because like I think that there's good stuff happening in this movie like in the peripheries anyway oh for sure um but it really was Tom Atkins's performance of the character it's just a perfect merging of character and, and actor yeah um where he's just selling all of it even the silliest and with, stuff. like the
3: film itself just like we were talking about how he's such a He's such a more serious character than everybody else. Like his backstory is Right, even though very he gets dark. like
1: a silly one-liner or he yeah, gets like, yeah. you know, he gets this... And he, it doesn't
3: seem out of place either, yeah. which is nice. They they do, they do pack it in well, so.
1: Yeah. Um, and then the finale is just a giant set piece where they take out all of oh, the... Yeah. Uh, Flamethrowers and flame zombie uh, slows. At, at, at one point, he gives Cynthia the flamethrower. She gets to go a little ham for a little bit. Yeah, she even
3: <laughs> has like this adorable look with it at one point, <laughs> like as she's flaming people. It's it's very funny. Yeah,
1: you could tell that they kind of ran out of things to do at a certain point, though. They even said that they weren't really sure what to do. So they were just like, what if we just do like something with the shed or something? Yeah. <laughs> we'll just, uh, so it was well, like they had,
0: to, they had to get to that lawnmower kill somehow.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So they're ju- they're just killing. They spend the rest of the movie just killing all the dates, basically. As Tom Atkins kind of leads them into the basement where all the brains were, they were attracted to all the brains in the basement, and Tom Atkins yeah. does the big old sacrificial explosion.
0: Um, no, I, I will say that my interpretation of the uh, earlier moment in the film where he's he's getting ready to kill himself. Mm -hmm. um and instead he he goes all right I'm, i'm suiting up and we're gonna go take these things out was that that was his moment of that was his moment of redemption where he decided i'm i'm gonna go and finally you know sort this thing out that's been haunting me for my entire life because at the end of this movie he says you know he clearly sort of goes i'm gonna go down in the basement.'" And I'm going to light this place on fire and blow the whole place up with me inside it. He's very clearly planning on continuing the act of killing himself, but he's going to do it in a sacrificial way that actually does something rather than just oh, yeah, killing he, himself he, he, he's killing right. himself at home rather than, yeah, rather than dealing I was
1: going to say he basically <laughs> kills himself the same way by turning the gas on there basically yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll
3: just go over here and do it save people while I do it
1: exactly I'll also take out the weird alien slugs yeah. at the same time and he does do it to
3: be fair it's the darkest two birds with one stone I've ever yeah. seen <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, meanwhile, the teens kiss outside.
3: Yeah, yeah, because you got to have the the classic '80s romantic. Now, I I heard
1: that there was two endings for this film. So, oh, really? So, which endings did you guys get? I got I got the ending where Tom Atkins's corpse walks out of the house, bursts open with the slugs, and they run into the is cemetery. he also smoking. Yes.
3: Yeah, which is the best part <laughs> of that. Oh, marriage. I
0: I had the other one yeah so there's, uh, so there's, so there's the two endings one is, so, so
1: jamie and i watched the I think, one which has the alternate ending which is so we, yeah, we got slugs
3: th- explode out of his head into a cemetery
1: a- into the cemetery yeah. where then the alien spaceship from the yeah. beginning ufos them up or something
3: yeah or is looking for or them or is because yeah. they're trying to be like uh we probably fucked up maybe, yeah. we, should get, <laughs> maybe we should get these back to our planet yeah
1: <laughs> Yeah. So and but so Andrew, am I correct in that your ending had something more where the they're kissing, but then the dog who caused the bus accident comes up to Cynthia, and then it 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 shoots the slug at her, and, that, oh. and then it cuts to black. I think.
0: Well, the the dog uh, is walking through the crowd of people who are outside the 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 burning frat house, the burning sorority house, and. Um, yeah, the, the, the two of them look down at the dog and then you get a point of view shot um, where the dog opens its mouth and the slug comes right out of the camera mm-hmm. and then cuts to black.
3: Okay.
1: All right. I don't know which ending I prefer. I mean, here's the thing. I as th- as, th- as we're pivoting this- to the reductive rating round, I think, I think part of the reason I don't know which ending is because I, d- I don't really know that this movie is like about a whole lot of things. It's just it's a, yeah. it, it's a fun genre riff. That's uh, yeah, kind of what it's it is. Yeah, I think taking
3: a bunch of different genre riffs and then putting yeah. them together. I-, and- I don't
1: think either of those endings has particularly more meaning than the other ending, yeah. I guess, is all no. I'm saying. <laughs> I, what I will
3: say is I think the one that we watched goes in line with the tone of the rest of the film a little better. I
1: did like watching Tom Atkins' um, – uh, oh, no, charred corpse Walking around with a smoke,
3: <laughs> And smoking a cigarette While yeah. he's dead I think that it just It adds a little Like personality To such a Yeah Just an odd movie Already Uh, And then to have it end with an alien spaceship spotlighting a cemetery looking for
1: slugs. It's a cool image. Like the final shot I think is awesome of a giant wide shot of the cemetery the slugs just went into with the spaceship. But I mean I always do also like
3: a very you know nihilistic just like it's still going on and then cut to black and there you go. But I think just with this film it, it feels like that weird ending would work a little better but I don't know. I, I haven't seen the other endings.
1: So. Yeah, we'll have to check it out. But I think I do. I did actually end up preferring this alternate ending here. But I will say that overall, I had a good time with this one. I, I It was interesting that Andrew brought both these on because both of these do kind of have a bit of a lower reputation. But yes. when, when Andrew brought both of them, I, it was curious to notice that Night of the Creeps actually has picked up more of a like a, a stronger cult following yeah like the average rating for it are much higher than dead heat and yeah definitely. It's, it's sort of reputation has been growing over the last few years um i i guess there was a an updated blu-ray that came out not that long ago like maybe a few years ago that so oh, okay. people have been kind of rediscovering it i think um and it is a solid genre riff on you know again sort of old school campy 50s sci-fi as well as sort of teen comedy sort of a pulp detective story uh, as well as you know sort of zombie horror infection horror got a little bit of Cronenberg shivers in there as it kind of said and I do think that it's very fun but I did watch the most of it being kind of like I'm not getting a whole lot out of it other than Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins for me (laughs) was like the soul of the film, mostly because it takes the genre bending and it affects his character in a very like psychological way. Yeah. Because again, he's just like, I should just be a patrolman or a detective in a fucking cop movie. That's what I should be. Instead I'm dealing with fucking alien slugs <laughs> and psycho butchers and yeah. like things that like, you know, make my job more difficult.
3: <laughs> yeah, so he's dealing with this very real cop traumatic past but then having to deal with this just over the top science right, fiction right. nonsense. Right. So so
1: being in of inside a being a detective who's dealing with all of these other genre universe things yeah. happening around yeah. him is actually hugely impactful to his character. Like it's horrifying. Yeah. Um, and it's really That's sad what works for me. The most It's really too, yeah. sad actually. And I think that it, it works really well. And I kind of wish they found a way to incorporate the team coming of age stuff a little bit more into that with because that, yeah. there are hints of it. We talked about that bit where he gets to light up the jock and
3: he's stoked Yeah, that he's like basically murdering <laughs> Brad and he's yeah. stoked about it. He does it. the same thing with Steve too. The other jock. Yeah. <laughs> he, and he's lighting up, real, real happy about it. it yeah, seems. Like, 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 and the, even the movie, like kind that of bit plays is it,
1: is is not like obviously that's still a joke, but again, it's a dark joke, and like yeah. that 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 to me has an underpinning. And of even something the movie grosser. kind of plays
3: it like. Like this was his becoming a man moment, yeah, it was like murdering two jocks with yeah. a flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you now you're a man now you now you can ask that girl out yeah in
1: in, <laughs> in front of the girl too, which, yeah, and yeah. she's traumatized. so like I think that that <laughs> is like the closest this movie gets to doing something interesting with them for sure, but the rest of the movie, a lot of it is just kind of them figuring out what's happening or trying to like it's it's more of like a uh, teen comedy where the kids are kind of like weird things are happening i wonder yeah. what's going on and then tom atkins every once in a while comes in and it's like fuck my life <laughs> <laughs> so uh, dark <laughs> uh, 20 uh, i really do think that that scene is so perverse where he confesses that i hunted that guy down chris. and just murder him and, and chris yeah. is
3: just sitting there like i am traumatized now. well yeah
1: he has a he has a great line he was he's like is there a point to this story other than wanting to confess to a murder. Murder. Yeah. We going
3: from somewhere here.
1: Yeah. So 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 for me overall I think the film's going to get like kind of like a high three um, because I did have a really good time with it. um, And I do think that like Decker you know, has affection for a lot of things that I also have affection for. But I do think that Andrew pointing out that he wrote the screenplay in seven days, uh, kind (laughs) of speaks to maybe why some of the (laughs) character writing of some of the teens doesn't necessarily translate into something. doesn't translate into something much more than kind of like what's there on the surface. Like what it is. Exactly. Whereas I do feel like I feel like he must have identified a little bit with Atkins character as being kind of like, uh, you know, um, a guy literally pulled from the 50s sci fi into the 80s horror film. I feel like he kind of identified a little bit more with Atkins character and he realized something in there that was like, you know very interesting to watch and Atkins obviously a very good performer yeah, he's and actually awesome. finds some soul in that character in the middle of like what is just you know some some sort of like campy riffing on all these different kinds of genres here's an actor like going for it yeah yeah for sure <laughs> um and you got to love Tom Atkins for that like no one else would take something like a role like that you feel like other actors who would have been cast in that role would have just played it for the silliness and for sure. He yeah. he really just does not. So yeah, gotta say, Atkins MVP, some great genre riffing going on, and some pretty good gore effects for the zombies in the final set yeah. piece. And and I, I gotta say I do love that opening too. The smash cut from little <laughs> freaky aliens that are very small, kinda waddling around, sending slugs into space, followed immediately by like nineteen
3: fifties yeah and then and horror. then jump into the 80s stuff like yeah. you have these these like three genre switches yeah yeah i i agree with you i think uh I, I could see this becoming the four i was i was hoping to get another watch in before we talked about it mm. uh because i did get two in for dead heat because i had the similar thing where i'm like oh, i think i i think i really like this but <laughs> I, i'm not quite sure i want that other that other watch but for now i'm going to give it the high three um, but I just I pretty much agree with everything you said. I think Atkins is the most uh, intriguing part of this whole thing. and, and having, It's weird though because it almost requires the movie to have all of its just kind of uh, more surface level 80s stuff so mm. that Atkins' character works within that. You know, yeah. like his character wouldn't have been as intriguing if he wasn't the only one doing that as well. I feel like him doing, being mm. the only one kind of giving this kind of performance makes him stand out right in in an odd Mm -hmm. way um but i mean we'll never we'll never know uh, (laughs) uh, either way uh so yeah i I thought it was i thought it was great the uh the effects are 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 awesome i the the split heads and then watching these slugs just slide out of them and slither around was (laughs) was pretty effective and
1: uh yeah there's some real there's some real good stuff in here
3: yeah yeah and then once again the the finale with chris just kind of Beaming ear to ear while he's destroying all these jock zombies was was very interesting and yeah. uh and the weird ending i also appreciated i i do think that alternative ending that we watched might probably works a little better but i haven't seen the other ones so maybe maybe that well based too. on the but final
1: shot i think that the final shot that we watched is way it just weirder works so and so well interesting.
3: also with the opening yeah. you know just having these weird genre uh Coming back and Infusions. referencing the aliens, although yeah. it, it is probably hilarious to watch
1: this movie and never see the aliens again. Also, like it's probably super <laughs> yeah, weird to is. be like they just never brought that they up. Just <laughs> drop them
0: off and then leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's just somebody else's problem.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but about, for you, Andrew.
0: Uh, so we're out of five. Yeah. 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 I'm I'm gonna go four. All right, nice. due, to, due to my great affection for the movie, I think it's um.
1: Yeah, I, I yeah, mean, like, you're, you're like definitely I said, maybe, not alone. I was looking at it, and I the majority of people that I know seem to like really, really like this. So I was actually a little disappointed in myself that I was like, I'm hoping on rewatches I can get something more out of it. I think yeah. it's just my fault <laughs> for having an aversion to like teen sex comedies from the '80s. That's yeah. just it's just it's really not a movie I've ever cared for. And there's a, a bit more of it in this movie than I expected. Yeah. But sorry, Andrew, go on.
0: <laughs> I, don't know, I was I was just gonna say as I as I said at the start, I think it's um. Obviously, shows a great deal of affection for the types of movies that it's riffing on. Um, all the subject matter, like you said, the naming of all the characters. Obviously, he's just trying to pay tribute to, to things and people that he has admiration for. Um, I, th- I think you get a real sense of that in the movie. And just generally speaking, I think it's, I think it's just, just sort of intended to be fun, you know, which is, um, which is no crime no crime <laughs> in my book
3: no
1: absolutely not it actually reminded me a little bit of because they did that too with final destination where they named all the <laughs> all the characters after i mean it it always kind of takes me a little bit out of the movie um when
3: you notice every single person's name well one, one guy
1: in in final destination is called billy hitchcock <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's pretty on the nose well yeah
1: and then on, another one was like uh Uh, Terry Cheney and like Alex Chance Browning. I mean, they're going for more deep cut directors, I guess. I mean, not really Hitchcock, but like Browning is like universal monsters director. It's not like Cronenberg. It's not like, yeah, it's not as as, quite as obvious as something is like what they're going for here. But for some reason, every time I do that, I'm just always just like, I don't know that it was necessary. You probably could have referenced Cronenberg without like calling her Cynthia Cronenberg. (laughs) But it is yes. it is very clear to see that Fred Decker, you know, he he is a very avid horror fan and likes a lot of stuff that I also like.
3: Has so. he done anything else of of note? The
1: the big one that he did other than this was Monster Squad, I think.
3: Oh, OK. So, and that's the one with so, Shane Black. Right? Yeah. So or he Betty directed Robert? Monster
1: Squad with the universal monsters in it. Um, he also did the uh, pretty much a universally panned RoboCop 3. <laughs> oh, yeah. I
3: think I saw that when I was looking up stuff.
1: Um, and he got a writing credit apparently on that new Predator movie, which I thought was really bad. So oh it's yeah, me too.
3: That's a bummer. Uh, poor. Uh, he
0: did. He did write uh, Ricochet, which was directed by Russell Mulcahy, who did Razorback.
2: Oh hey. Oh cool. Um, cool. Which
0: Razorback is Ricochet is awesome. uh, uh, Ricochet's a, a pretty fun kind of. Oh,
1: it's got Denzel Washington um, in it. Okay, I'll check. Yeah,
0: it out. Den- Denzel <laughs> Washington and John John Lithgow as a as a serial killer. I think, as I was just a big-time oh. murderer. Um, he did some episodes of Creep Show, but just as, as a final aside about Fred Decker, um, I will wrap it up with this, this tantalizing bit of trivia, which is that apparently in 1988, him and Shane Black worked together on a final draft of a script called Shadow Company, um, which was the first script that Shane Black wrote in 1984, a year before he wrote his first draft of Lethal Weapon. The script was to be an action horror film about a group of U.S. Special Forces soldiers who died during the Vietnam War, and years later, after their bodies were brought back, the soldiers, who are members of Secret Army Experiments, rise up from the graves as rotting unstoppable zombies. Uh, the movie was going to be directed by John Carpenter sometime <laughs> in 1989, produced by Walter Hill, who also did work on the script, with <laughs> Kurt Russell in the main role, but it was never made.
3: What the oh, hell? That's... That's devastating. That's
0: just what a what a powerful combination.
3: Yeah, things that could have been, man. Yeah, for oh. real. That's un. That's unbelievable.
0: Well, apparently, it's um, it's just one of those scripts that float around and people people love to read and pour over and everything. So there you go.
1: Yeah. also oh, like that's one that like like even fans have had access to that script now. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess uh, Carpenter must have went on then to do. Uh, what would he have done instead? There, he probably would have done Big Trouble in Little China or like They Live. Probably would have been one of the ones he did
3: instead. Yeah, I think They Live's '88. Isn't? I'm it? I'm just it's thinking if like he was
1: working that. with planning on working with Kurt Russell. Yeah,
3: uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I guess it could have also been after Big Trouble in Little China, which is a good segue, actually. Into, we are gonna move along here. Uh, that was. Uh, Night of the Creeps from 1986. We're going to be back and we're going to be talking Dead Heat from 1988, which I do think has a sequence that feels like a deleted scene from Big Trouble in Little China, which I can't wait to talk about. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking (laughs) about now, yeah. Wait, let's do it. So let's get into it. That's it from now on. I'm a vegetarian. How do you fight this thing? Maybe we could drown it in A1 sauce.
0: Williams, Sit down. and Joe Piscopo are dead heat. You shoot them, they don't die. Oh, yeah!
2: You can't keep a good cop dead.
1: All right, we are back and we are talking dead heat. The 1988 American buddy cop zombie comedy film directed by one Mark Goldblatt and starring legendary Treat Williams and I will not at all use the word legendary Joe Piscopo. (laughs) Uh, My first Joe Piscopo movie and uh, hopefully my last Joe Piscopo movie even though I do think he's uh, funny (laughs) He's funny. He's funny to me in an anti-comedy way, (laughs) which I think is partially intentional uh, on part of Terry Black, um, who is obviously we mentioned Shane Black's brother. But it's very easy to tell queuing this up that uh, this film, they picked both of these actors kind of out of nowhere because like you watch you're you're thinking of like the best film buddy cop movies, you think something like Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Um, even on the lower rent side, you might think of something like Tango and Cash. You're like Sloan, Kurt Russell. You're thinking, uh, you know, so like uh Mel Gibson, you know, so you're you're thinking of these huge actors and then you get a version of this with just actors that aren't that big. And I feel yeah. bad for Treat Williams because he obviously this was following up shortly after um Hair by um Milos Foreman, um, which he was actually nominated uh for his performance in that film.
3: Oh, really? Uh, yeah.
1: Uh, and then after that, he kind of didn't get to do a whole lot. He showed up in, uh, is
3: there a reason once that upon you know a time of?
1: in America? Um, honestly, he was in Spielberg's 1941. I, I honestly think as much as
3: I, I really did enjoy this film. I am surprised to hear that he was nominated and then did this movie. I will say. Yeah.
1: I mean, we, we should say that dead heat is like pretty barrel-scraping trash, I would say, in terms of premise. Yeah, it, it, like There's a lot of talent who ended up working on this film, and oh, I yeah. think that this film works like gangbusters, actually, for yeah. what it is. <laughs> but really it, was, it, it was very clear being produced by Corman. They gave them, like, four million dollars, which is, like, nothing. And right. they were, like... Like four million dollars to make, a, make a even, genre even just movie? to make a buddy cop action movie is not enough. Like they didn't, and so the fact that this works at all is kind of insane, um, and especially because they really couldn't pull. You know, very many big actors for this film. The biggest actor they got was Vincent Price, and he he appears to have appeared in the film because it probably took one day of shooting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were like, we'll give you one monologue, really... we'll give you one scene where you don't even have to get out of
3: bed. <laughs> <laughs> You're <laughs> You're like, yeah. We'll shoot it at your house <laughs> in the morning when you get up, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't even have to go.
1: Um, but, and a- as much as that sounds like I'm shitting on the movie, I will say I honestly did actually end up enjoying this more. Than even Night of the Creeps. Uh, yeah, I did too, actually. The, which was surprising to me, and I think me too. <laughs> I think it's mostly because the technical behind the scenes craft they actually hired for this film is so much more than it deserves. Like, there's a version <laughs> of this film that doesn't work at all.
0: Oh, And, oh, and, oh, and yeah. I think
1: it's just made by people who don't give a shit. But yeah. the fact that this was directed by Mark Goldblatt, who his only everyone other film... everyone
3: seemed like they were on the same wavelength in this in this movie. Even oh yeah, even Joe pesca papa or whatever his <laughs> name is who is just an uh, he, I, he's mostly known because he because was on snl like he had a very difficult part to play which with those lines oh yeah and those he lines are dreadful <laughs> pulls it off in my opinion like i don't think it's gut laughter obviously no but it's so 80s and so cheesy that i got a kick out of it to be quite honest and and i think that his performance uh is good because he somehow pulls off <laughs> the lines that he pulls off well
1: i definitely i thought he pulled off a couple of them but yeah. there were a lot that i don't think that, oh i get eye rolling don't pulled off. yeah <laughs>
3: don't get me wrong but there's i don't know man there's something about him that i there's a charm to him when and, and he also does all there, this. there's
1: one scene where he tries to switch to emotional and it doesn't work
3: Uh, what's what's, oh is that when he when he loses no i I was
1: i was thinking in the 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 scene in the 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 library uh where he tries to be like uh he does some variation on a cop's version of keep on keeping on brother kind of
3: deal which is very like which i is that is that when uh when roger is is running away and he's kind of yes and he's going
1: after him and he's just like oh man come on bro like you know they said that uh uh, only bad cop is a dead cop or whatever or something yeah. like that. Or he, he has some sort of line where he, Joe, See, me, Joe though, Piscopo never, tries to switch to the emotional yeah. best friend role for, and it doesn't quite work, me, but also it it's never in the writing Joe,
3: though. For me, it was the writing, the writing. Like yeah. it was, ne- I had never found Joe to be a, a bad Actor, right? You know, I, was, uh, I was. I was It's impressed. hard to
1: blame Joe because
3: I the, thought the he was saving the bullshit dialogue that he had to do. <coughs> to be quite yeah, honest, yeah, yeah. I, th- I
0: think there's there's absolutely jokes that um that he gets given where it's his delivery that's that's saving them. Yeah. Um, and I'm not when the, I say
3: saving them, I don't necessarily mean like I'm laughing. Hard. Right. You know what I mean? I'm just I'm accepting <laughs> them more than if a lesser <laughs> comedian did them. That's kind of what I'm saying. Right.
1: Well, I've never seen Joe Piscopo and anything else, so it's very possible that I no, am I, I am taking the lines that he's being delivered and my eye rolling at those is <laughs> yeah. reflecting on eye rolling Absolutely. at him. Uh, so don't totally disagree with you guys there at all. Yeah. But
0: But on on the um on the Mark Goldblatt front though. Yes. So he he only directed this and Punisher. The Dolph Lundgren starring Punisher movie from the 80s.
3: How is that by the way? Just real briefly. Never seen it.
0: Uh, oh, okay. There's there's a lot of uh, Dolph Lundgren shooting ninjas in that <laughs> movie.
1: <laughs> Alright. That sounds good to um, me, yeah. But, <laughs> but, I'll
0: watch ma- for sure. But Mark Goldblatt, primarily known as an editor, yes, and movies that he edited, absolute Treasure trove of cult classics. Mm. Let me bang some of these out. Well, so and I, well, and I was
1: gonna say first, he started though, literally editing movies for Roger Corman.
3: Oh, okay. Um,
1: and and Joe Dante. He edited Joe Dante's Piranha and The Howling. Those were two of oh, the, sure. the first movies that he did. Cool. But name, Service. but but go off the heavy hitters because they're big.
0: <laughs> so we got we got Halloween two, we got Nightbreed, we've got Commando, we've got Rambo First Blood Part Two, we've got the Terminator. We've got Terminator 2, Judgment Day. We've got Predator, Predator 2. We've got Super Mario Brothers. We've got we've got Shane Black's The Last Boy Scout. Yep. We've got Showgirls. We've yep. got True yeah. Lies. We've got Starship Troopers.
1: Yeah, unbelievable he, run of, wow.
0: of, of as an editor. Yeah, that's Even nuts. all the way up to Chappie.
3: Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. And past Chappie, he fucking did the Eli Roth death wish. That was his last gig. Oh, that he was, really? Yeah. It's
3: a bit of a bummer. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I won't blame the editing. I guy. don't think
1: the editing's the problem no, with no, that film. No, no, that's not the problem
3: with that film. So good job still, brother.
1: <laughs> yeah. And the film also shot by um, uh, Ye- uh, Yeoman, I believe, is the is the name on him. Uh, Robert D who is Wes Anderson's cinematographer. Oh wow. Shot Grand Budapest Hotel, Moonrise Kingdom, Royal Tenenbaums, like Holy shit. So, uh
0: doesn't really come through in this movie. <laughs> no,
1: not quite, but it's just it's very clear that they have a talented photographer, they have a talented editor turned director. Um and I will say also the effects artist for this film uh cuz obviously the effects I think are really what ended up selling this film for me because yeah. they are they are not just good like they're fantastic.
3: Yeah, I was I was shocked. Yeah, especially a, a specific for such a cheap scene. movie. Yeah, yeah, especially a specific scene. Well, you know, what? I'll save it. We'll go through a little bit of the plot first because it's it's deep in. But there. this
1: guy did the special effects for The Fog. He did the special effects for American Werewolf in London. He did the special effects for Videodrome, Ooh. Big Trouble in Little China, Predator. Um, he, he ended up doing, uh,
3: all of this is making so much sense, especially when we eventually talk about mm. a certain scene in a China. Well, show.
1: yeah. And he was so good at doing the, the, these like practical effects that they would later kind of hire him just to do like specific scenes in certain stuff. Like he actually did a uh, Doc Ock's makeup in Spider-Man Two. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, and the effects for that. Um, he would go on to do the Freddy's death sequence in Nightmare on Elm Street 4 Dream Warriors, which I haven't seen, but you've seen that. Yeah. Is that a particularly oh, yeah. effective, effective death sequence? If it's
3: the one I'm – see, I'm, I, I got, I'm probably getting a bunch of the endings mixed okay. up. But if it's the one in a church and he explodes, that might be one of them. Could be.
1: But, okay, okay. Well, he, he also did the effects for Chuck Russell's The Blob.
3: Oh, sweet. From the 80s. Wow.
1: So, like, we're talking about he did The Blob and this and um, Return of the Living Dead Part 2 all in the same year, the makeup for it. Oh, yeah. So, like, Holy this shit. guy is absolutely insane, even, like, to this day. Always covered in fake blood. Yeah, even to this day, he's still working on stuff. He just worked on Nicholas Winding Refn's Too Old to Die Young series. Oh, wow. Uh, series. Uh, and Under the Silver Lake, apparently. He did the gore effects for that. that So uh, that head smash-in is pretty fucking great in that movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) That would be him.
3: (laughs) That's his art right there.
1: (laughs) So this guy's incredible and it, it really cues us up for like what's going on in this film, which is, as I mentioned, I I would call this Shane Black's reanimator because it is, like, a perfect <laughs> merging of, like, the Lethal Weapon, Tango Cash-style buddy cop yeah. uh, film.
3: And in that regard, it has every... Like, I love when they the way they cut to their, their chief and he's just, like, yelling at them. Oh, just, full, it's the most cliché. Super cliché. Yeah. Like, it takes all those it's like, you guys are loose cannons, but <laughs> yeah. you get results. And then, of course, <laughs> the one guy's just like, hey, you should be giving me a medal. I yeah. saved their lives. Like, making jokes, like, these corny 80s jokes. Oh, it's oh, the
1: movie is like 82 minutes and it yep. starts like hot. Like it starts with a bank robbery where zombies are robbing a bank.
3: Yeah, and I <laughs> love how it's filmed too. They have all these close ups of the zombies while they're in their car and they're just like get the bag make sure you grab the gun you son of a bitch like, yeah, shit it's like these, that. these intense
1: close-ups they're all sweaty yeah
3: yeah
1: uh the the shootout happens like right off the start they're just driving in like this really flashy red convertible uh <laughs> yeah. joe piscopo is in like a leather jacket uh supposedly undercover like beats, yeah ser- e- not taking the hot anything dog. seriously yeah <laughs>
3: Didn't tell yeah, him that like they the were Joe, going undercover. Joe Piscopo's
0: character, um, Doug Bigelow, is just immediately Doug a piece of
3: Bigelow. shit. <laughs> yeah, He's just, Doug
0: Bigelow, just too. Be- <laughs> Beaten on the dashboard, eating a hot dog. Didn't um, even tell his
3: partner they were going out for undercover work. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it, it is he, such a. He didn't... Go ahead, there, Andrew.
0: Oh, I, I think it's just very important that we note that Treat Williams's character is named Detective Roger Mortis.
1: Yes. <laughs> Which is the level of comedy we're dealing with here? Absolutely, Detective, <laughs>
0: Detective R. Mortis.
1: What does that make you think of? Makes hmm. me makes me think of of, of uh, rigor mortis. Exactly.
0: <laughs>
3: Genius
1: writing. Good stuff right there. Yeah, Terry Black. He walks that line. I think of. He he's very clearly writing some awful jokes yeah but but at the same time he he must be aware that these jokes are really that's bad. what
3: i see and this is what happened with me the first half hour i wasn't sure like yeah. i was like wow this is really <laughs> fucking cheesy like really corny well, and because then because they, they're goes, always riffing they're riffing all the, all time, the time and you're so like just stop goes, riffing for a second man <laughs> right yeah <laughs> So as it goes, and it just, it, it was kind of like as the plot moved along, yeah. the jokes that were so corny got better for me because the movie itself got more crazy, like yeah. it got crazier. So yeah. all this cheese didn't bother me as much anymore. Yeah. When they were just doing like the traditional cop stuff, at the like when you don't know much about the zombie stuff, I wasn't as into mm. it, right? Because it's just the, the typical cops yeah, kind of shit for a little while as soon as they start getting into the the resurrection machine and and the like three-nosed big biker guy that they fight at yeah. the hospital or whatever i was i was like okay i think i get what you guys are going for it was more of a satirical thing than than a serious thing
1: yeah for 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 me what what just kind of happened was that like i thought it was like a like I wasn't sure if it was parody or not was the thing. Like I I sat here going, is is this an SNL version of Lethal Weapon? Like what's (laughs) happening right now? Um, And then... Uh, it very clearly makes itself Aware that that is later on what it is I mean there's one part where they're talking about The fat zombie dude that they fight in the thing In the car uh-huh. um, and then uh, He goes talk Speaking about like fat let me tell you about my Ex-wife and then it and then cuts it him cuts. off cuts. Yeah, yeah and I was like okay so like that <laughs> that's a joke Where they are not letting him finish
3: Right <laughs> so they know that it's kind of Like an overbearing presence at times With yeah. his constant like riffs and stuff Exactly like
1: that. So, so around that time and then Obviously as they start dealing with we will say are real fucking horror sequences. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: even if the tone doesn't sometimes take them seriously, the gore is so well done that you have to take them seriously. Like your brain just does because you're sitting there and I found myself constantly disarmed by this movie because, you know, um, Because, like, you're expecting something just so silly and the characters aren't taking anything seriously, like, in that opening shootout, like, he's riffing while, like, cops are just being murdered right beside him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you're you're sitting there going, like, dude, I feel like you should be taking this a little seriously. Like, so many people are getting shot at. And it's the first time also – where I couldn't figure out what was happening because uh, it just has this awesome effect of this is obviously excessive 80s action cheese. Oh yeah, so they're firing excessive. at these two dudes. <laughs> And I'm sitting there going, why aren't these guys going down? Oh, I'm like, oh, it's just an 80s action movie. That's why they're not going down. Yeah. Like, it's just that's just all it is. And then it's like, oh no, they're not going down because they're already dead, and that's actually part of the plot. And Joe Piscopo even says, man, like, what's what's going on here? Like maybe it's or no, it's it's tree it's tree it's, treat, it's treat Williams who says that what's going on here? And because Piscopo ha- always has to be riffing, and he goes, ah, it's just a flesh wound or whatever. You yeah, know? And they're they're firing them down, but when they kill those guys. The one, the one zombie pulls out a grenade. And the, again, it's hard to describe them as zombies because they don't actually – they're a little sort of like fleshy and gross. But yeah. they're, they're not like – they they're not like too. Night they of the get Creeps. They
3: more zombified as the movie goes because right. these two first robbers don't really look zombified at no, they, all. No, they, they
1: just have like clammy skin yeah. basically. Like yeah. they, they look like they're in the process of being zombified. So yeah. you don't – again, you don't totally again, I know guess that. which
3: makes sense because they deteriorate as it goes, like yes. as the film goes. Mm.
1: Yeah, but when the one pulls out the grenade and Piscopo shoots his arm and the guy goes, "Uh uh-oh, and (laughs) then just full, (laughs) like, chunky explosion flies over, hits everyone. and gore's disgusting. And then
3: Roger takes the car and just runs (laughs) into the dude and pins him into another one. Dude, and
1: the dummy is so good. Yeah, it
3: basically explodes. Yeah, it's it's like a...
1: (laughs) <laughs> it, it's a dummy with like squibs on it as it like yeah. gets pinned into the car so and blood, blood just splatters
3: <laughs> everywhere. God, yeah, it's, it's so insane. Good. And, and the thing is, too, is that these guys don't know that they're like these super zombified whatever. So those deaths that they just did for those robbers are just <laughs> so gruesome. I mean, they, these robbers are going in for it, they're trying to kill everybody. Oh, yeah. But it was just. It's crazy to see these cops, like, run into a criminal. Into well, yeah, criminal. All, all the
1: guys on the sidelines are, like, rolling their eyes. They're like, God damn it. They just fucking exploded and murdered our suspects.
3: Yeah. Just, like, <laughs> so no interrogation? Yeah.
0: Well, there, <laughs> is, uh, there is reference before that point when they're headed over there in the car to, ah, oh, it's our guys again. And they, they oh, do right. talk about this series of... Uh, like uh, series of um, violent robberies that have been going on with people that they don't seem to be able to stop. Right. And, and so I think, um, you know, Roger's whole thing here is like, I'm not letting these guys get away. Even if I have to completely obliterate them with a car. (laughs) Yeah. Which he does very effectively.
3: Very effectively.
1: (laughs) No, absolutely. Um, And they, they find out anyway, based on these, corpses which they event they take to the the morgue and i i do think the morgue sequence is pretty funny
3: this one the, uh joe actually did get a good joke off this one where they open up the body and he goes hey nice shot roger <laughs> and it's just like the open dead body with all the gun oh, yeah well and i also <laughs> like
1: how treat williams just like completely throws it away and just goes thanks and then immediately like pivots yeah. to yeah. like the, continuing the conversation but before they do that and they're they're just looking at all of, for some reason they're just looking at the corpses like for fun or something yeah uh and and joe piscopo's talking about you know uh you know how they celebrate birthdays you should celebrate death days and uh treat williams just like lifts up like a thing and looks at like just a torso and a head that's all it is that's underneath (laughs) there then he immediately just like puts it back down (laughs) covers it back it's
0: shredded as well the thing that he's looking at yeah Yeah. oh just very gory
1: yeah, and what's the, there's the line Joe Piscopo gets to when they look at the corpses, and he's just like, "You have the right to remain disgusting." Yeah, I can't, I can't, it's
3: something like that. I can't remember it though.
1: Yeah, uh. but either way, they uncover through these corpses that they have been chock full of some sort of chemical. The uh, mortician tells them, and then they find out that that chemical uh, has just been bought um, uh, on in large quantities, we'll say, by Dante Pharmaceuticals. Right. <laughs> Uh, so they, they they head on over to Dante pharmaceuticals where the uh, desk guy is just reading
3: playboy. (laughs) Yeah. I do like the, sorry to interrupt your erection pal, that line, (laughs) pretty classic eighties right there too. (laughs) And they,
1: they get a tour from the, uh, PR girl who is played by, uh, Lindsay
3: Frost, I don't know why, but she looks familiar. Have you seen her in anything else? Has she been in some stuff? Uh,
1: honestly, the only other thing I think I've seen her in is The Ring. Uh, oh, okay. The 2002 Ring, so okay. she was kind of a bit of an older Maybe it was just her face, that. yeah. But as they kind of make their way through Dante Pharmaceuticals, uh, again, there's some more riffing. Joe Piscopo is chasing after the little intern in, in her lab coat or whatever, and they're like, nope, uh, you're, you're sticking with us, bro. And then I think he says, I gotta go pee pee, and that's how he separates <laughs> yeah, himself yep. from uh, from the tour.
0: <laughs> and he gets himself Very out of there to do detective. some do some detective work. Yeah. That's
1: right. Yeah, he's gotta do some real real detective work there. Um, and, <laughs> and that, that's when he discovers the resurrection. The, machine, machine. the resurrection
3: machine. And this is where things it's get It's actually like,
1: a pretty good set too. Yeah, yeah, I the, liked uh, it.
3: And this is where things get like super interesting. This is when I started to become completely. Oh yeah. As engaged. soon as
1: the the resurrected, like fat biker gets up with
3: like three noses and yeah, like, he's got crazy. like three
1: faces stitched together, like some sort of like uh, like Texas chainsaw mask or something yeah. like
3: that. Which which honestly doesn't make much sense. No, like with the rest of the film because there's no talk of experimentation or like you know fusing. Faces together or anything like that. He's yeah. really the only zombie with like a deformity that's that extreme. So, but it doesn't matter because it's a great effect.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't the, think too hard about the, it. The makeup on him looks amazing and he's yeah. massive and he's just like throwing Joe yeah, around. It's awesome. <laughs> um, and I, I was actually sort of shocked by – and I mean I because I didn't really look up the film. If I would have looked up the film, I probably would not have been shocked because it's the premise of the film. But I was shocked actually at the bit where Treat Williams gets stuck in the sort of uh, uh, room where the guy – presses the button yeah. and it sucks the air out of the room and it strength it basically like strangles him yeah me too um, and he just dies i thought and it was, I was gonna like, be more oh. of just a set
3: piece <laughs> moment where it was like you know joe fights the guy and then gets him out but it ends up being the entire plot basically
1: yeah well it's like 15 minutes into the movie and treat williams is right. dead, and he's like the main character yeah. i was like what <laughs> um and i actually did like I actually thought Treat Williams does a pretty good job in this movie. Yeah, me Um, too. uh, He also did get a little bit more of a character and a little bit more of an arc. Joe really
3: is just the funny guy. Like he really just is the partner that's kind of uh, there to riff with him. Yeah, there to have a good time. Exactly.
1: Which is very important, apparently, for like the end of the film, which we'll kind (laughs) of get to. It's very, it's a very (laughs) important plot development that these guys (laughs) have been riffing
3: for. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that brings brothers together, man. (laughs) jokes. (laughs) jokes. <laughs> hey, we know that on this show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's so good.
0: Uh, the, they're just they're loving life these guys. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, well, well, I I do like the fact that um that Roger being killed does not impede the making jokes about everything uh, <laughs> all the way through. Yeah. If anything, if anything I feel that it ramps uh, Roger's willingness to make jokes about things up to the next level
3: yeah oh yeah that's no. something i i noticed is that he, no one takes starts, any death really seriously in this no. even before they know about the resurrection machine i mean when when roger dies there is a mo- there is a s- one little scene that that joe gets where he kind of uh like it's just sad yeah you know and just kind of like oh he's dead he dog. i think he says something like he dog he died like dogs died or something which yeah. is pretty heavy long. yeah but because he's, as he's soon died
0: as in the in the chamber that they use to euthanize animals that right, they been testing. Right,
3: right. And then, but as soon as they find the machine, it goes right back to like I'm gonna riff about everything, <laughs> even though. I'm not sure if this will bring Roger back. I'm no, still if, if, in if, my riff mode. Yeah, if,
1: if, if anything, Joe uh, got excited by the fact that he had more content to riff off. <laughs> yeah. He's like, man, I had so many dead jokes <laughs> <Yeah>. just waiting. <laughs> yeah. And I can use them all. Like, this, this is <laughs> great. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, either way, definitely uh, when when I looked up Joe Piscopo and I saw that he was most known for SNL, I was like, ah, all right. Oh, yeah, got, it totally yeah. makes and, sense. And when I looked him up on YouTube, the first thing I found was him doing like a really shitty parody of a rap on the tonight show (laughs) and i was like all right all right um but as they uh find this resurrection machine and for some reason they call in the mortician lady to just be there and for some reason she's super cool with the idea of just reanimating uh treat williams like like literally uh a movie like yeah, this may now be.
0: there, and she's just like, "Yeah, let's just have a go with this thing."
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: like you would, you would push you, some buttons.
1: You would think another version of this movie would actually spend a, lo- a longer amount of time thinking that Treat Williams was going to be dead,
2: oh, or just I thinking see.
1: having Joe Piscopo. But literally, it's the next scene like Joe Pesci was like man he died and then they go into the resurrection room and they're like you want to put him in the machine and see what happens yeah. <laughs> I,
3: I like how they're just kind of sh- like all shoulders about it just like you know might as well try. Might as well give it a go.
1: Oh, yeah. And I also forgot to mention, I really like the part where when shit hits the fan and the reanimated biker comes back, the desk guy immediately pulls out a gun and starts I'm trying to like, shoot oh, the I'm cops. I'm a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> I just remember that being, a, I remember me going, what? Yeah. Like, there, there's so many. The one thing about this is there are a lot of bad riffs, but there's so many. There's like a riff every three seconds. Yeah. that At a certain point. And it's not Like, just they, within they, the like dialogue, they do become right? overwhelming and they start yeah. to work on you.
3: Yeah. yeah, I think that's what it is. It's just overbearing riffs to the point where it has to work on you. It's like uh, what's that like Stockholm syndrome yeah. <laughs> or whatever, where you just you sit there and they and you just take it until you like it.
1: Yeah, well, and and they and they they talk about uh, briefly the idea of reanimating the corpses, and I think Joe Piscopo is the one who has the line where he's like, "What about the soul, Becky?" Yeah. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but they reanimate She's him just
0: like they figured that out
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that's a way to write it off yeah um but they they reanimate him and he's just like hey man I, I actually feel pretty good nothing's happened and they were like dude you were dead you have no heartbeat and they have three people check his heartbeat and they're like yeah man there's nothing there he's like yeah man this thing's just got to be broken yeah that's what it is no no problems here man i'm just you know i'm i'm good but then he gets told that he is dead and he's only reanimated briefly. He has 10 hours basically before he's going to turn into soup. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's just going to so slowly kind deteriorate. Like,
0: um, yeah, it's kind of like uh, Mel Gibson in Edge of Darkness, except instead of radiation poisoning, it's he's just rotting. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then and then Joe Piscopo has the idea of like, well, can't we just like reheat him, like put him back in? And they were like, it's not a toaster oven, Doug. <laughs> yeah. <They were, laughs> Even though we, I like the idea. Plot, plot wise, we just kind of we did just use That's, it as a toaster oven, basically. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I gotta say, like I like personally, I have a certain amount of affection for movies knowing when to when to sort of bother saying this matters or yes. this doesn't matter. And like, uh, I think yeah. a really prominent example from the last, it, I have a feeling this movie came out. Uh, f- further ago than I think it did, but uh, but the great example is like in Looper oh, when yeah. um, when they sit down and they're talking to each other, you know the two the two Bruce Willis's, and um, and he says, well, how can you be here talking to me? And he says, look, I could make you a bunch of diagrams and join things <laughs> up with string and everything. We don't have time for that shit. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah, don't it's think just about wonder-
1: it. Just enjoy the movie.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wonderfully artful way of saying. You know, this This doesn't really matter. And something that I was kind of thinking about both of these movies because um, uh, I, I had watched a movie recently that was from, uh, like, Point Grey Pictures, which is Seth Rogen and um, Evan Goldberg's production company. Oh, right. So, the, you know, they made, like, This is the End and The Interview and... Uh, I think recently I watched a, a movie called Long Shot. Oh, yeah, I wife. watched that. That was,
1: that was the one with uh, yeah. Charlize Theron in it, I think.
0: Yeah, uh, and and Seth Rogen. And it's like ostensibly a, a political comedy. But what I think that all, like all of those movies do really well is that they seem to have the overriding ethos of the main thing that matters is that this is fun. Mm, Uh, they don't they don't too hung up on the idea of like we need to have a satisfying and realistic resolution to james franco killing kim (laughs) jong-un they they just get to the end and they make a joke out of it where they say oh this stupid thing that he said earlier in the movie about like a seal team coming and spiriting them away from the country where they will be heroes (laughs) that just happens and and then everything's fine hmm and, and it's like, you know, a similar thing for that long shot movie. They they get to the end of that and they go, and she's the president now and he's the first <laughs> f- f- and And they're making jokes about it because that shit, frankly, it doesn't really matter what happens after this point. And I, yeah, I just, I have a certain affection for movies just kind of being willing to say, you know what? We're kind of more concerned. This is fun for you yeah and getting super hung up on the details basically
3: <laughs> yeah and that's definitely this
1: yeah <laughs> i ended up liking that long shot movie for a movie that has the implicit premise that like compromise in a relationship is the same thing as compromise in politics which i just think is a fundamentally untrue thing <laughs> but i had a good time with that movie especially uh scars riffing on justin trudeau that guy deserved to get taken down a peg <laughs> oh does scars guard plays the canadian prime minister and it's Such a riff on Justin Trudeau's like, like sort of fake kindness. Definitely
3: watch that movie. It's brutal. It's brutal. (laughs) I mean, as
1: as Canadians, you got to know we got we we need to get some Justin Trudeau riffs out there. So anyone who's doing it,
3: absolutely. uh,
1: (laughs) But before we digress too far here, returning back (laughs) to Dead Heat, which I do think Andrew is right that like again. The whole reanimating process and the premise of yeah he's just back and he's a dead cop now and we're gonna continue on whatever this conspiracy is like they get past that in like five seconds and, oh yeah and like yeah. like so, yeah they
0: they walk out they walk out and they're like that's weird I was you were dead though and yeah. he's like I don't yeah don't you're leave. dead now
1: man it's cool <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> let's crack um, this yeah case. And, and every, like they're making jokes on they're driving away from the place where. Roger has just been resurrected and he's saying I don't get it though because I feel great I feel like I could run the Boston marathon they're like well you couldn't cuz it's not open to dead people <laughs> They just like written. immediately just cracking jokes about it you know like they're they're making jokes about him like the the next place that they go to like um you know a couple of couple of zombies come in with uzis and try to assassinate the girl from the lab Yeah they
1: go to the PR and, girl girl's house or her, her mansion and yeah the the zombies come in wielding uh uzis and there's a lot of like really great squib work uh yeah. here because this is this is the first time you get the hint of two zombies shooting at each other
3: yeah um, and i love it because you know because they're basically indestructible so it's yeah. just constant bullets it's flying. so excessive it's <laughs> yeah it's such exactly. a it's such
1: an like an easy excuse to just be even more excessive than you, yeah like because this is the first scene where like Tree Williams is just getting like mowed down by Uzis and like, it's not affecting him. He's yeah, just he's like
0: got bullet yeah. wounds everywhere. And it's, it's, it's running out of the room and getting shot in the back, like yeah. six times. On uh, the way out. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's also where they introduce uh, Vincent price who shows up on the TV as the rich industrialist who, uh, you know, is, is supposedly the, the father or, um, sort of the mentor figure for the, the PR woman. But when the zombies show up, they just have this. It's it's probably one of the weaker action films in the scene, in the, in the film. But that's not really saying much. It's because all of the action scenes in the film that aren't this one are like st- crazy good. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> um, but, but this sequence, he ends up killing one by throwing the radio in the jacuzzi. Joe Piscopo just punches the zombie in the dick like ten times. Like ten times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's, there's one joke in here, though. That blew my mind and I had to sit here. I had to think about it because I couldn't <laughs> figure out what the joke was uh, for a long time because it's it, it, shortly after Joe Piscopo stabs the one zombie with the patio umbrella, throws him into the throws him down into the pool, I think. yeah, and then the other guy is in the jacuzzi underwater with the radio. Um, and treat Williams at one point during the set piece is underwater for a long period of time. Um, yeah. cause he, uh, he's dead. He doesn't need to, he doesn't need the oxygen anymore. So he's all good. And Joe Piscopo says, you were underwater in that jacuzzi for five straight minutes. And then he says, I got to teach my girlfriend how to do that. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, and I heard that. And my, for some, this might just be me, but my first thought was, does he want to just drown his girlfriend? Like, <laughs> is that what he, like, he wants to imagine drowning his girlfriend. And then I was like, oh no, he wants his girlfriend to blow him in the jacuzzi. Yeah, yeah. That was the joke. Okay.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> you were focusing too much on the zombies. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and also, I thought the, uh, I thought the makeup on the zombies in this, in this sequence was, uh, was very nice in that they're not. Because uh, like we've sort of established in this, you can resurrect somebody if the person has been dead for a while. It seems to make them uh, dumb and suggestible, and you can send them off to do errands and rob banks and kill people and that kind of stuff. Right, so we have someone
1: at Dante Pharmaceuticals is resurrecting thugs so that they can do some crimes around the city. That's kind of like the main thing that we're sort of getting breadcrumbs as we move along here. Yeah. But you're right. The one guy kind of looks like Jeff Goldblum in the fly. <laughs> yeah, a
2: little bit, yeah. yeah. They,
0: they don't sort of, they don't look like uh, say a zombie from the walking dead or, you know, Zack Snyder's day of the dead or anything like that. They, they just look kind of grotesque. Yeah. Yeah. They, they just look very kind of, like they're covered in boils and sort of gross and I will their say skin's peeling is like, off a little
3: bit. Not that it matters because the film never focuses too hard on it and yeah. I don't really care. But it's – I will say it's not very consistent with like how the whole – Process works. You no, know, but like most of them look zombies, different. Yeah, yeah, like we have the later on. We have uh, I think her name's Randy. She's the the PR girl yeah. or whatever. When she starts to deteriorate, God, it's, one of the happens. most horrifying sequences. And it's movie, fantastic. Though. The yeah. effects are great. Like her when her face starts to droop, half her face. Melts. Oh, that was that was so effective. It was oh, it yeah. was fantastic. But what I found is just I was like, there's no consistency to this because she's deteriorating in a matter of like a minute. I guess she does have something that she says where. She she made a deal with them so she could last longer or something, it's but it's all very vague. That's what I'm kind of getting at. It's not, it's not really spelled out for you. It, it's pretty inconsistent when it comes to that.
0: Right. Yeah. It's, it's not a, uh, you don't rules. really get the feeling that there is yeah, a thoroughly, thoroughly, um, uh, fleshed out series of internal yeah. rules. Not that this. it
3: matters really. it the, the film's not trying to focus on that at all, but it just uh was something I was no, thinking. No, they about. they were
1: kinda like, what's an excuse to get all these different kinds of gore gags, yeah. basically. Yeah. Like they, I feel like they just said go nuts to this makeup artist. I feel like, like yeah. they were just like what's something cool that you can come up with and how can we write our way there? Yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> like that's a, absolutely what happened with the Chinese butcher shop <laughs> oh, sequence. <yeah. laughs> Let's get to that. <laughs> um, which, yeah, so they, they go from the PR lady's house to the Chinese butcher shop because this is where they have sold them wherever th- This is where the chemical was sold to Dante Pharmaceuticals from. And they go there and uh, they turn on the resurrection machine inside the butcher shop and it starts resurrecting all of... The fucking butchered
3: the animals.
1: Yeah, the poultry. Uh, the fucking there's fucking pigs. There's chickens. There's there's fish. Yeah. Uh, and then in in you know the biggest one and the craziest one, obviously the the cow carcass.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: which I don't know when how. I honestly to- don't know how they did this because it I didn't know. it didn't look like stop motion to me.
3: No, like it, that it looked, looked like way a legit- better than stop motion. Yeah, so. that looked like a legitimate animatronic or something like that or Yeah, it's a crazy. Mix, maybe a, someone in like a suit mixed with some animatronics. I'm not sure, but it but, was But watching all these skinned
1: too. dead animals yeah. in a butcher shop just come to life and, and start fucking with them. I love these little gags
3: they do throughout it like uh, one, I think one time like Joe as he's uh, as he's struggling with one of them, he throws them into one of the meat grinders and then the meat <laughs> yeah, grinder gets, goes, yeah. he turns around and there's a duck that looks surprised and then he shoots his head off. Like <laughs> this scene was absolutely bat shit. Yeah. Um, and it I comes out of nowhere I, and no, you're like, it's, what? So, it's, it's so high energy and just uh, it's, it's so bizarre compared to everything else. And I mean, the movie itself is bizarre, but this one, this scene really stands out uh, with. And, its strangeness. and again, they
0: don't, they don't really feel the need to answer the question, why do you have a resurrection machine uh, in the light fitting of a Chinese restaurant? <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> and, that's, too, yeah. <laughs> and that's fine, and that's fine. The, uh, the, the big shirtless butcher that's standing there when they first come in, um, you may recognize uh, him, Professor Toru Tanaka, uh, as Sub-Zero from The Running Man.
1: Oh, hey,
3: I did oh, not recognize cool. that, but
1: that is cool. We actually just that's did The awesome. Running Man not that long ago, so yeah. I totally yeah. remember Sub-Zero. He's the one with the hockey stick.
3: Yeah, that's killer.
0: Yeah, he was also a, a professional wrestler with the WWF during the 1960s.
3: Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Hell yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's good stuff. Used
0: to, used to team up with Mr. Fuji. <laughs> cool. They, were, uh, they both, both played uh, Japanese foreign devils, and they were both just from Hawaii.
1: Right, oh. so, so, so he went from that to having to listen to Joe Piscopo go, suddenly I've lost my appetite. That's it. Yep. I'm going vegetarian. <laughs> yeah. This little piggy's
3: going to market. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, I loved it. It was just, it he was He says all of those lines within 80s. like
1: 20 seconds yeah. of each other. The, the
3: riffs, man. They're non-stop. <laughs> he could not stop. Yeah, he was, like, I would, I almost wanted a scene where, like, Joe's character goes insane and just can't stop doing riffs. Like, <laughs> like it's an ending scene in him, like, in an asylum, and he's just like, I'm I'm a vegetarian now.
0: Uh, you know,
3: like, just starts riffing the whole thing. Maybe we can drown it in A1 sauce. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Every but, like, line like, he has in this scene. But, uh, like you said, though, I mean, tonally... That sort of thing does actually have that kind of cumulative effect. It makes me think of like, um, makes me think of stand-up comedians like uh, like Stephen Wright and Mitch Hedberg, where their entire mm-hmm. acts are just non sequitur one-liners, yeah, but, de- but delivered with this like regularity that sort of <laughs> yeah. build, builds to an entirely different thing. And like you're saying, in a movie like this, if just all the way through absolutely non-stop no matter what's happening the two main characters are just riffing on it the entire time <laughs>
1: yeah yeah and i could i could see how someone like how people might have found that annoying i know that this film did bomb it played in theaters for like one week and then it just oh, yeah. no one no one talked about it again basically yeah but i did think that when it ramped up into the horror and they were still doing it is kind of what ended up working for me mostly just for because sure. Again, in a buddy cop movie, they would have this attitude all the time. Like a lot of time in buddy cop movies, that attitude is what like makes them get through the harder parts of their job. Yeah. They're, you know, a lot of times they're just like, this is how, you know, we're kind of like bad dudes, but this is like kind of how we stay sane in, right. in, in, in kind of like the things that we're asked to do. Um, and and I so, think so while doing that, but the things that they're trying to stay sane through are so much fucking crazier. The yeah. fact that they're riffing just kind of gets crazier. Yeah. Just kind of actually made sense to me.
3: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah.
0: And and I think um, that the other thing that's very notable about this is that as time goes on through the movie, Roger starts to decompose and. After he's been shot a bunch of times, uh, Doug suggests soon that he changes clothes because being covered in bullet holes isn't a great disguise. Um, so he gets some more clothes and gets himself changed and he brushes his hair and he starts to notice like big clumps of hair coming out. Oh, yeah. He's, he's looking really pallid. So he buys some makeup from a drugstore to try and disguise like how, <laughs> how pallid he's looking. But over the course of the film, as he is deteriorating more and more, he also starts really leaning into just being able to uh, absorb like unlimited amounts of damage from people. Yeah. And all of this kind of leads to, uh, like you were saying, they, they have split up at some point. They've gone to, to check in on Vincent Price's mausoleum for clues. They come back to Roger's house and find that he's been murdered. And they know, um, it's not like
3: they don't present it as the saddest scene either, which no, I found which, which is funny when I saw weird, it, I, I, I was point, confused
1: yeah. by that. But then I was like, oh, when the climax happened, I was like, that's why. Of yeah. course he was going to come back. Yeah. But I was sitting there going, it would, it would be odd. super weird if Joe Piscopo just died and they found him hung upside down in a fish tank. Because it, it looks like a death. brutal
3: death. Yeah. Like it's, it, and
1: they were just like, man.
3: They kind of just brush it off at first. Oh yeah, yeah. like
1: li- she he she immediately goes into the shower and he follows her and he's oh, that's like damn the d- sexy lady in the shower and yeah. then she melts right in front of him which is that's one of the craziest happens. visual effects in the movie too
3: is and when they have her head like talk to him before it deteriorates completely oh, yeah. too. that's a pretty but, cool but and, and
1: her her arm also melts off first yeah. like her arm drops and then when her when she falls her head smashes the ground and like falls off
3: yeah too. they show you like with steps uh It's very clear. Yeah, her her deterioration deterioration
1: process is like very vivid. Yeah, like it's very you see every moment of it. Like her face melting, her like skin uh, like actually like peeling back and revealing like more of the skull and stuff like that. But it just happens in like a really fast time frame. Yeah, Um, and I also really like the line where uh, because. Andrew was talking about it, how he's like absorbing all these bullets and stuff like that. At one point, Randy says to him where she's like, she saw that he got shot in the back by a bunch of the Uzis. She's like, you're hurt. He says, lady, I'm fucking dead. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, Treat just...
1: Williams actually does deliver it well. So it actually got a pretty good laugh
3: out yeah. of me when he says that one. Yeah, it's good. And then, it, but, uh... uh, Oh, go ahead, Andrew.
0: Oh, I was just gonna say, as we, as we sort of get, Get towards the crescendo of the movie. The which last is,
1: 15, 20 minutes or whatever, which is, I kid you not, I think it's one of the best 15 minutes I've ever seen in a movie.
3: Oh, yeah. It's so and high energy.
0: Yeah. so So basically they've established that the entire plot here is that Vincent Price is actually still alive. Mm-hmm and he's been conspiring with a group of uh, very rich people to prolong their own lives.
1: Yeah, because they're Um, like, what's the point in making all this money and hoarding it all if by the time you die you just have to give it away? (laughs) He's just like, you should just be able to keep hoarding it forever which god is god
3: wants us to live forever yeah well
1: and by i was just gonna say vincent price's monologue by the way he does not just take that paycheck he delivers that monologue. yeah it's awesome he kind of just gets he comes in and he's like ladies and gentlemen
3: yeah <laughs> it's great <laughs>
0: Yeah, hey, he goes he goes right into it and it's great and god so so a, basically legend,
1: vincent price so,
0: yeah So where we wind up at the climax of the movie is that...
1: Which is kicked uh, off, by the way, by the bit in the ambulance, right? Where they put Treat Williams in the ambulance. And then he uh, basically, he puts the gear into neutral so that he can can go down the hill. And he's sitting there going, oh, this is awesome. And he's riding as fast as he could. He nails a fucking car or whatever. Explodes. And then he comes out. And this is it was clearly this explosion was just an excuse to get him into his final makeup
0: yeah. where he looks like into, a combination into his roasted form.
1: Yeah. He looks like a combination of like Two-Face and like the Terminator, basically. Yeah,
3: yeah, a little bit. Yeah.
1: Uh, and uh, that bit especially is just like where it kicks off with the finale because he finds out that, you know, some the police chief or, you know, someone Who's like in the in the office with him was involved. I think it's like a, a doc- Price. the
3: doctor of the morgue place. Or something oh, that's like what that. it is. Yeah. yeah. So he's yeah. well,
1: yeah, because he's probably been giving him the corpses. Right. I guess. Yeah,
3: that's what it is.
1: Yeah. Uh, to reanimate. But, um,
3: and that my favorite joke in this entire film is in this scene where he just starts shooting all the security guards. Yeah. And then one of them comes up, and, and one of the guards is a zombie as well. This is the best so, gag in the movie. So they just start yeah. shooting at each other with Uzis, and it just keeps cutting back and forth nonstop <laughs> to them shooting each other. I was I was laughing so oh, hard, gut laughter. I could For not sure. even believe it. And then afterwards, he pushes the guy into that room. Pops a grenade and then shoots the door <laughs> closed. <laughs> like, yeah. he's just so, like everything is so excessive in this moment, and it's just, oh, just I that laugh little, so
0: hard. that little shot. He hits the button and the door starts closing. He tosses the grenade in, and just before the door's completely closed, he just kind of leans fuck around. Two yeah, <laughs> more shots. Yeah, two rounds in there. But the I, I think so. At this point, it's when he's it's when he's done the whole ambulance thing that um, he is just at this point. Completely leaning into uh, what I would describe as zombie cop chaos mode. Yeah. yeah the was,
1: because they killed his best friend. They killed the PR girl. Who he has he liked. nothing
3: to lose. <laughs> yeah. So he's
1: like, I'm just going to go fucking destroy Dante pharmaceuticals. Like, that's it. Yeah. Like, he literally rides a motorcycle into a chain, launches through the glass door off of the chain like that joke from bill and ted where they drive the car and then they just smash the curb and fly into the house it's the exact same joke that they do here where he flies into the pharmaceuticals except he goes full like john woo mode right when he does that and he's like in the air like firing guns already (laughs) and stuff like that (laughs) it's great (laughs) but yeah that gag i also
3: love that he like it it At this point, it's almost as if his character... He was the straight man the whole time, right? And now he's just cracking jokes. He's basically Joe, except now he's zombified and kicking ass. Yeah, he's doing Uh, one-liners. So that I like, too, is that his character's arc is to basically just become (laughs) another wise-cracking cop. Because he's just, like, so, I guess... I don't know nihilistic at this point, or or whatever. But just
1: with the bullet absorption powers. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which that is the the best gag in in the film because it is literally like one minute. Of them just unloading into each other. I
3: couldn't believe how long it went for. I I laughed (laughs) so hard. It cuts back
1: like six times between the two of them. And it's just like, that guy just took 20 bullets. That guy just took 20 bullets. they're just
3: taking the bullets too. There's like blood going everywhere. Just an
1: all-timer like horror and action movie gag. Yeah,
3: one of my favorites for sure. But
1: this leads us into, he gets into the room with all the rich people. He starts going nuts on them. Uh, The one guy... Uh, who is, yeah, like the head of the morgue or whatever. And he's just like, well, how are you going to deal with me when you're t- too busy dealing with him? Or, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. something like this. He reveals that inside the resurrection machine where they were having the meeting in front of it for some reason, like they were treating it like a boardroom table. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, d- I didn't totally figure that part out. But Well,
0: it was, it was because Vincent Price was going to prove that it was worth getting half oh, of everybody's yes. fortune by by doing a resurrection right in front of them
1: right and, and so of course he
0: re- brings back dog
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah but he's been dead for longer so his brain's a little bit more malleable and he seems like as a person his brain might have been just a little bit more malleable yeah. in the first place I also like
3: – I don't know. There's something about where he's just like, kill this guy, would you? And then Doug responds, kill this guy, would you? Yeah. Like that kind of shit. <laughs> and he just keeps repeating stuff. There, uh, It's well, very simple, but I, I enjoyed the touch. Well, it. because
1: at that point, like it's just been very clear that Joe Piscopo has been overacting the entire time. Yeah. But at this yeah. point, like the movie itself is like overacting. Like it's <laughs> yeah. so insane. It's so over the top that like – there no – there's no point in any kind of realistic acting at no. that point. Yeah. Like there's nothing in the movie that, and then I mean, it.
3: I, I gotta say this is, it's pure eighties like this joke, but it, just the fact that what brings Doug back is the, like brings out your eyes. Yeah. That whole <laughs> joke. Like I, I, it was, it was a little eye rolly, but it was so just time capsule, you know, yeah. it's such an eighties joke well, and for it to be a major plot point. Yes, that's that's, that's the, where the joke really is because that's difference. so funny. Because like, all
1: of their stupid jokes that the movie has been like, even the movie has been like, because that is makes I really. it also that
3: the movie's been aware of these dumb jokes yeah. to the point where they know they've been a- excessive. It's the thing that brings him back to humanity. Yeah. So I think they 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 know what they're doing. Like the idea least.
1: that all of those stupid jokes that we've been subjected to are <laughs> so meaningful to their friendship. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: awesome. <laughs>
3: <laughs> there's some heart in this shit man
0: <laughs> the link it's the link between them yeah
3: exactly <laughs> but and then beautiful. they
0: and then they kill everybody and they <laughs> walk out of the room together into a corridor that's filling with mist and white light yeah and but, but, say, but we, we
1: we have to say though because the next best gore gag in the entire movie they oh yes. they, they, they approach the guy to kill them the guy who's been behind this the whole time it's been vincent price has been the money behind it but the guy actually behind it has been this morgue guy oh yeah taking the body and they, the and they and approach the- him and he's just you know he's shooting newsies <laughs> at them trying to prevent them from coming forward and vincent price is in the background huddling in the corner going why can't you kill them <laughs>
2: <You're dead> forever, <laughs> <laughs> forever
1: but in order to avoid getting killed he just shoots his head off his own head off. He just commits suicide right in front of them. And they go, oh no, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, fuck they,
3: you. If like, you
1: think you that you're, you
3: took it away from me. So they
1: put him back into the resurrection machine. They're electrocuting him. He's coming back to life. It's like a really gross scene from like reanimator when he reanimates that head and it's yeah. like, Whoa. so they're doing that to him. And then they go, you know what?
3: Let's res- what, if,
1: what if we pressed it again? What if we just reanimated him twice? Him
3: twice. <laughs> and he just fucking explodes. <laughs> everywhere <laughs> whole body yeah like, it's not like parts or what it's just boom literally it's, it's
1: like the spider's explosion. head explosion
3: but with the whole body yeah the <laughs> whole thing i couldn't believe it
1: no it's it's, <laughs> it's completely repulsive and chunky and awesome yeah and uh i was surprised Fantastic. when i went, went and read about the film that this movie had gore cut out of it really yep Oh, I want to see all the deleted. Yeah. Stuff. So I want to see the deleted scenes too. I wonder, but I, is
3: that out there? Is there I, like I a don't director's know if it's cut? out there,
1: but I was watching this and I was like, this is like a really gross movie and apparently they had to cut it down. This is the R movie when it was originally put in, they got an X rating and that was how Dude, they had to cut it down. So I want to
3: see the X rated version.
1: Yeah. I'm assuming it includes so that, that head blowing off because it does feel like they cut away from <laughs> that.
3: <laughs> That's true. Like they, they don't show the, uh, the doctor really, there's no violence to his suicide or yeah. anything like that.
1: But yeah, and then they walk out into the white light, again, still fucking riffing. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, they end with a riff where it's like, uh, I think this is the end of a beautiful friendship Yeah. or something like that. Just, yeah, man. And then and in the at that point, the way once again, it's, it's a little eye-rolly, but at that point... I've been charmed. You yeah. know what I mean. I'm. I'm totally like. I love all your stupid ass riffs. Please. Oh yeah. At, 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 at that point, the, the heart fact of it. that
1: they're bad is like kind of why they're Great. good at that point. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then it has you know an 80s pop rock song that they somehow made for the movie because it says "dead heat" in it.
3: Oh, nice.
0: Does <laughs> say that, doesn't it? Running at a dead heat.
1: Yeah. Running at a dead heat, man. But oh, anyway, entering beautiful. the reductive rating round. Man, this one it gets the four. It does. It gets yeah. it gets there. I I Guess wasn't sure about it because when I finished watching it I was like, "Oh, well that was just Dumb.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh. So I I threed it because I had a really good time, but it was dumb. And then I I went back to it and I thought about it and I was like I was describing it to someone else and I was like <laughs> that ripped. <laughs> I want yeah, like, to like, I want
3: to <laughs> show people that.
1: Yeah. Like straight up, I was just like I found um just the fact that again it is such a perfect merging of what is uh the buddy cop excessive eighties action movie with like, full-out, like, repulsive body horror. And I found the constant interplay between those genres and the fact that those genres, like, contradict each other because they're just not something, like... Like, the idea of people riffing through a body horror sequence, like, literally doesn't make sense. Like, it's just, like, it's so nonsensical that when I saw it here, the fact that this makes it work, like, I was constantly, like, shocked by it and surprised by it uh, in ways that I found both, like, gross and funny. So... Honestly, the watching – you would think that it would undermine the horror, but it really didn't. It really just – like it really felt like it wasn't a body horror movie infected by people being stupid and funny. It felt like it was a stupid funny movie infected by body horror sequences, which sounds like like a pointless (laughs) – like, uh, you know, like, a like a hypocritical thing, but like, it's not like, it's just, that's the way that the movie actually plays. Yeah. So while I was sitting there watching it, like the dumb, stupid comedy stuff actually didn't end up ruining this movie for me. It actually just disarmed me and didn't leave me prepared for it's absolutely like insanely repulsive stuff that it actually yeah. goes for. Cause again, the special effects are amazing. I think that Mark Goldblatt <laughs> actually has a solid grasp on how to shoot and cut action. Um, yeah. and then again, to have, you know, one of the best VFX artists of, you know, uh, the eighties kind of like working, uh, with him and then a cinematographer who knows what to do. So it's just like, even though we'll say in terms of characterization and maybe, you know, some <laughs> a l- of the a acting, little light. <laughs> a little light and, and I will say the, like the writing, like Terry Black is very clearly Shane Black's less talented brother. Uh, <laughs> but you know. I think as a merging of all of these different elements, some into like a weird like boiling pot. Some, yeah.
3: Somehow this works. It all
1: works. Yeah. So I can't wait to show this to people. Basically, yeah. Like I'm I'm psyched. I'm glad Andrew brought it. So. Yeah.
3: I'm right there with you. I'm gonna I'm gonna for it as well. I do feel like people could you know it's one of those films where the cheese really starts to work like halfway through. Yeah. And it can be if you're not if you don't know what to expect and and you and you don't like 80s cheese it's going to be a bit difficult to get through like the first half an hour. Yeah. Um but I, like we were talking about by the end of the film when they're going into heaven after this bizarre finale <laughs> and they're still riffing and still doing these bad jokes but now you find it like charming. I think that's on purpose and it's yeah. that's hard to do uh and As as cheesy as some of these lines are, I think it it comes full circle and it it works really well once you see the ending. and, And the fact that they use it as a character plot moment it's where, like the
1: only character thing they do in the movie is using remember all those
3: riffs that we've been doing for right. 80 minutes but i also those love those are that so they, meaningful they ended up making them somehow meaningful you yeah. know it, it's not the it's not the most meaning but there's it's I, it just makes me laugh that they actually took the time to <laughs> take all these riffs that they're aware of and then make it into the character plot that's moment friendship where, bro yeah <laughs> where, where he's convinced to come back to the humanity part uh of his personality. So it's just, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I couldn't believe what I was watching, especially the last 30 minutes. Um, and I will say, I think Joe, although he got the worst of the dialogue, I do think he did a good job with (laughs) making it not as, cringy as it could be hmm. um so so yeah I, I i had an absolute blast with this and i would have liked to see uh vincent price a little more yeah but his cameo is still really awesome and he and he kills it so uh so yeah i'll give it a four
1: yeah big fans of vincent price here especially big fan of his uh character name which is arthur p louder milk <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, that's great. laughs> <laughs> which is just a great rich guy name i think yeah. anyway for you andrew
0: uh, I look, I'm going to give it a sentimental five on account yeah, of this nice. is just, this is just right up there as, as one of my favorite, just, uh, ridiculous indulgences in, in terms of just weird cult movies and, um, yeah like like you were saying Jamie as when it sort of when all of the layering on of jokes and one liners and everything kind of hits you halfway through it means that it's one of those things that when you do come back and watch it again that you are kind of warmed up to those characters from the start of the movie
3: yeah, and I, I actually um, ended up re-watching it because I wasn't sure. I fored it the first time, and I went, is this a four? You know, because, like, <laughs> this is pretty out there. And uh, and I re-watched it, and and I kind of had the similar feeling within the first half hour. I, I was kind of like, I don't know, maybe this isn't quite the four. Like, it's close. But yeah. then as soon as th- that halfway point ramps, ramps yeah. up, and they start connecting all those kind of corny riffs, it, yeah, it it, it just works, so...
0: Uh, as soon as, as soon as Roger's all burned and smoky and he's like, fuck it. Yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. Especially <laughs> at let's that get point. get in here. Yeah. So
0: but yeah. yeah, I think, I, I think, like I said, both of them clearly have, both of these movies clearly have a, a sort of great affection for the various types of genres that they're trying to fold together. And I think that, I think that Dead Heat is, is pretty unique in the sense of being something that. Like you said, Josh, is isn't so much a horror movie with a dash of like cop in it, because there there are plenty of movies out there that are like, you know, a horror movie which is kind of vaguely hung on the frame of a police procedural kind of thing. Um, And this this isn't that. This is much more like a buddy cop movie about two guys who solve the case, and it even has all the same beats of like, yeah, like a like like a
1: conspiracy uh cop story kind of deal yep.
0: yeah uncovering uncovering something that a nefarious corporation is doing um taking revenge for your friends that got knocked off along the way <laughs> there's always there's always an outrageous kill of the person who is like sort of heading up the whole thing uh at the end and then you'll walk out and crack some jokes at the end uh while a shane black saxophone plays you know <laughs> yeah. it, it, so it really does. It really does follow much more the actual like buddy cop blueprint, but they just happen to say also one of the cops uh, is a zombie from about a quarter of the way through the movie. <laughs> yeah, and, and then there's just all of this other rad horror movie stuff in it. So from yeah. that perspective, and then the guy from Videodrome
1: uh, gets involved. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs>
0: yeah. And I, I, so I think from that perspective, it's actually quite a quite a unique beast. In terms of oh, the, totally. the little space that it occupies, you know?
1: Yeah, like it, it's, um, it's very clearly like a trash premise. Like someone went to Roger Corman and was like, can we get a f- like three million dollars to like yeah. <laughs> do like this really stupid thing? And he was like, yeah, all right. I mean, like I produced some stupid shit. And then <laughs> it's just like they actually just effectively made it. And I think that that's really what was it for me as I was like, like, there's, I could make no argument for this on like a character or a theme level in any capacity.
3: No, no. But
1: I do think that this is as solidly made of trash as I've seen. Oh, yeah. Or, or especially as trashy as it is, like as trashy as the writing is and the premises. This is like, it's crazy how well this actually works. (laughs)
3: Yeah, I can't believe it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's quite a quite a unique little creature in terms of just the the combination of elements that make it what it is. Yeah. And um, I really I really sort of um, went back and forth between this movie or well, for for these three movies between uh, Night of the Creeps, um, Dead Heat, and another movie called Blood Diner, mm. um, which is is very similar in, like, very similar vintage. It's from 1987. It's kind of a weird horror comedy that is, again, sort of intentionally funny in its own way and and also is just kind of batshit crazy uh, in its performances and everything. So anybody out there, if you're looking for a similar thing to these two movies, I highly recommend uh, Blood Diner about some, some weird brothers running a vegetarian diner where they're secretly feeding corpses to all of their patrons um, while, while stealing body parts in an effort to, um, to resurrect a Babylonian
3: goddess. (laughs) Hell yeah. Uh,
0: So very, very cool, very weird movie, which I highly recommend, but very similar energy uh, to dead heat in the sense that it just kind of starts off weird and then gets extremely batshit over the course (laughs) of the movie.
1: Sweet. All right. Well, I think that will wrap it up for this week's episode. That was Night of the Creeps from 1986 and Dead Heat from 1988. Thanks for bringing these films with you, Andrew, and thanks for joining us. If you got anything to plug, this is the place to do it.
0: Uh, just just the old podcast. If you like to get the odd update on uh, Australian news and politics and Bigfoot and <laughs> Crypto cryptids uh falcon attacks
1: yeah um, i was actually just listening to that episode <laughs> the other day i was just listening to the one that you had uh, jr hennessy on uh yes because you were saying that some some guy at working at the australian airport got attacked by falcons that live inside the hangars at the airport or something like that <laughs> that's what it if
0: was by uh by families of peregrine falcons who nest in the hangars. Yeah, Australia's
3: uh-huh. crazy.
1: <laughs> well,
3: yeah. Yeah, and,
0: and he, yeah,
1: and he was reading that there was like the the corporation's response was to say, "Do you know what, guys? If you see falcon activity, put your goggles on." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we a, got
3: Hitchcock's birds up in this book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, for real though. That's that I got his eyes gouged. Like that was. Oh my god! Was oh
3: yeah. my god! <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! Got real. So, uh,
0: So, yeah, if you want to hear about uh, all kinds of weird stuff like that, you can check out uh, Bunta Vista. that's B-O-O-N-T-A, on iTunes and Stitcher and all that kind of jazz. Um, If you want to find Spotify, if you want to find um, where you can get the podcast or just get the RSS feed for your own thing or whatever, just go to Buntavista.com, and you can find all the details there and the Patreon and the Discord and all that kind of jazz.
1: Yeah, we know how it is. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, people know how to find stuff.
1: <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. Well, for our listeners, I think in one week's time, we are going to be back with a bonus episode for you guys. We have entered Noir Vember. Yeah. Which is another film Twitter uh, thing. We, we, we follow Spooktober with Noir Vember. So this month, we are going to. They're not all noirs, but we are going to do some. We're going to focus on a little bit of noirs this year. So we're going to do our first noir episode uh, for November. And we are going to be doing uh, a Samuel Fuller noir double feature. So oh, we are yeah. going to do Pickup on South Street from 1954, uh, and then we are also going to be doing The Naked Kiss from 1964. Both films directed, written, and directed by legendary filmmaker Samuel Fuller, and that sets us up for our our free episode. So again, patreoncom Theseoids podcast for that episode next week. The week after, though, we're having a guest on, and we are going to do Sam Fuller's big one. We are going to do Shock Corridor. Sweet. Uh, the guest wanted to bring that on. I figured we'd get familiar with Sam Fuller before we uh, we did that, his his really big one. Uh, but the guest has also paired that with Ace in the Hole, which I think is some another sort of uh, a journalism, noir-adjacent, possibly, about reporters and cops and things of this nature. Cool. So that's what we are going to be doing in two weeks' time. Uh, but I think that that will wrap it up um i want jamie to end the show out by playing the dead heat song if he can find it somewhere (laughs) (laughs) i will Uh, i will do that and um uh, the last thing i'm gonna say is vincent price's delivery of friends and associates (laughs) (laughs) but that will be it that will wrap it up for this week's episode thanks as always for listening and keep it sleazy keep it sleazy cue that music jamie yeah (laughs) cueing yourself from yeah, the exactly. from from the past <laughs> exactly <laughs> i'm imagining you with your headphones on in your room yeah, just like, being like
3: oh, fuck I will. you Drop Jamie." <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs>